Yeah, we're a little choked up this episode. We, we were discussing that before we decided to click on it live. But... Yeah, yeah, and this this music is, is, is not helping. <laughs> no, it's not. It's but hey, listen, it was the only. It was the song we had to go. Oh, it was the choice. It was, and it's look. It's that kind of week, guys. This is a. I was telling Ed off the off the off the air. It's, this is a one two three punch for comic book fans this week. Yeah, for real. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining us uh, this Monday evening. As always, for the latest episode of Brainy's PhD, we're at episode eighty six. And uh, yeah, we're gonna be uh, spoiler warning. We're gonna be talking about Black Panther: Wakanda Forever uh, this evening. That's our movie of the week. Uh, we got a panel of two to three uh, gentlemen who will be joining us this evening for a bit. So excited for that! Uh, as always, and thank you for joining us. If you're joining us on the Facebook live stream, if you're joining us on YouTube, if you're joining us on Twitter or Instagram, or uh, sorry, yeah, Instagram, or wherever you find your audio-only podcast, we really appreciate it as always. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna. Listen, we're gonna we'll pay our tributes, but we're also gonna have a lot of fun this week because that's that's what we do. We have a new Marvel movie to discuss. But first and foremost, with me as always is Jason. Jason, what's up? Good to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. As always, it's a somber week, and it being a somber week, I'm gonna talk about. Uh, a little unsolved mysteries while you share the show out, Ed, because yes. that's what I do here. I talk about the, the stuff that I watch that no one cares about, and since I have a captive audience here, I share it out. But I, I watch I watch unsolved mysteries today. Maybe it's just maybe it's just I've been I've been hit emotionally about for the week for many a couple of reasons we're gonna get into on the show. But I, I watched an episode of 1990s season two unsolved mysteries that got to me right here in the chest, man. About a woman in foster care, who, who a woman who grew up in foster care, and her unsolved mystery was she was looking for the foster parents who had her for one year, and and she like completely and utterly gave credit to that one year within that foster family outside of her abusive family for being able to pick herself up as the woman she was today, quote unquote, 1990. And then I got to see that tearful reunion. And it was probably I was just, you know, hit by the many, many losses we had this week in, uh, you know, fiction and in real life in the, the comic fandom. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. So it, it going along with this, the, the tone of this episode, I thought I was touched by Unsolved Mysteries, guys. I can't believe I'm saying that. But here we are. So th that is my weekly share out of garbage that I watch that no one cares about. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to just say, I think you're selling yourself a little bit short. People cared about The Sopranos. The Granny's Gabagool you're was, right. big, was big. You're right. Gra Granny's Gabagool. Well, that, that was something that I knew people would like. Like, now I'm back to stuff that no one cares about. Like, I, Granny's Gabagool had a name. This is just, like, shit I watch now at night to get to sleep because I haven't actually been able to get back onto an HBO show yet. <laughs> Wow. Uh, all right, then we're gonna have to get you that access for the for HBO Max somehow. You need to get onto something. No, no, that's the thing. I have HBO Max. That's this is the sad part, and I've just been sucked down a rabbit hole that I cannot escape from until I get to the other side with this unsolved mysteries business because that's how my binge watching goes. I, I'm Alice in Alice in Wonderland of the binge watching on stream. I'm like. Oh, look, I'm going to follow that white rabbit. Oh, my, I'm looking at a caterpillar smoking, and that's Unsolved Mysteries, and I just have to watch this for seven seasons. <laughs> and then I could follow that white rabbit again, which is uh, the HBO shows. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, we'll uh, 
for the, our first order of business is, is something that uh, was, you know, it, it's in touch with something that we covered uh, in the past over here. Uh, was there was the loss of uh, Kevin Conroy over the I believe it was on Friday actually, uh, where he had yeah. passed away. Yes, and, it was. Yeah, when I oh, it's it's crazy because like with the situation with Twitter right now with the fake accounts and verified fake accounts, like when I saw that spreading, I have to like really confirm stuff extra For sure. And that's not especially sure. someone passing like that's not something I'm going to go ahead and take lightly and want to share out. Uh, but yeah, uh, for those unfamiliar, Kevin Conroy uh, most famously had voiced uh, Batman and Batman the Animated Series, uh, along with its many spinoffs, as well as the animated films that were made for that. Uh, there was some Justice League he had done as well, uh, some Ark some of the Arkham video games also. So he's he's for many he's the definitive voice of Batman. Um, it, ever like in general, like Jason and I grew up with. Batman the animated series, and I mean, it came out. We were like what 11, 12 years old, and yeah, something like that. Yeah, so we were kids, and um, yeah, that's it's, it's a huge loss. And it was, it was interesting to see he did get to play Batman in live action one time. I did like that. I did like to see that, even though it was on Batwoman, it was, yes. uh, you know, it was a crisis on Infinite Earths. It wasn't a great, it wasn't a great thing that the, you know, I mean, it was fine, but like, mm -hmm. it was. I'm really happy I got to see him play Batman live action just that once and just give that to us as fans. So, you know what? I'll never shit on Batwoman again. Yeah, uh, that's that, that is the one time that we got it. It was a different version of Batman uh, for those who might not be familiar. Um, but the we'll focus on the original version. I mean, the most popular version of Batman that he uh, that he had played. Um, yeah, I mean, he is it. I mean, just in in every. How do I describe it? Like in, in every version he did, it was just it was really heartfelt and it was it, it was incredible. It was like intimidating and he was as Bruce Wayne, he had a lot of heart and everything like that as well. And I think that's why everyone fell in love with him. Yeah, I'll tell you as a, a kid watching this, I'll never forget like uh I thought I was convinced that there were two different actors, one who played Batman, one who played Bruce Wayne, because I was astounded by just how deliberately different they sounded right bruce wayne is like you know hey uh, he sounds like a playboy and batman sounds like a guy you don't want to mess with and the fact that kevin conroy was able to do that and kevin conroy was the first person to really hit home like the the difference in the voice right that's what that's why we have the 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 christian bale which you know it's, it's a joke at this point but yeah. that's why we have the christian bale batman voice because kevin conroy said of course, this, this guy's going to sound different. They're two different characters. Um, you know, growing up, I loved that show so much. Uh, I, Batman, I'm a huge Batman guy, I always have been. And I know when we talked about Batman, Ed, and we talked, we did our Batman retrospective, and we talked about, like, the best live-action Batman, and we kind of agreed you can't put Kevin Conroy in that mix because he's a voice actor and it's different. And and I realized what the difference is and and why... Like when we talk about live action Batman, we're talking about, oh, this is Christian Bale's Batman. This is Ben Affleck's Batman, right? No matter how good or bad it is, it's always someone's Batman. But I realized after Kevin Conroy died, because I've been thinking a lot about this, because it hit me. It really, I'm not even, this isn't a bit. Like Walter texted me that Kevin Conroy was dead before I saw it 
on Facebook while I was watching my son on Friday and I had to sit down. Like I didn't realize how much this was going to affect me. And I think it affected me for the same reasons affecting a lot of us is, you know, we never said, Oh, that's Kevin Conroy's Batman. That was Batman. And from that point on, when I read, when I read Batman comics, that was the voice, right? Whenever to this day, if I pick up a comic, I, I remember I was reading, um, you know, like Batman and um, Black Lightning, the 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 one that you put me on, where they had their team together. When when I read that, Batman's voice is always Kevin Conroy's Batman from animated series. Bruce Wayne is always Kevin Conroy's Bruce Wayne. Like, and that's the thing. It's we're not at least for me. I'm not mourning an actor who played Batman. I'm mourning an actor who embodied the comic book Batman to a point where my imagination has co-opted him when I read those comics. And so for a lot of us, I think it's like losing Batman and, and I'm no, no joke, no bit or anything. I, I just want to say, I'm really, I'm really sad about this. And uh, I want to thank Kevin Conroy for giving our generation that gift. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that you had mentioned that, like, it's true when you, so I think we first were introduced to a lot of these characters reading comic books when we were younger or whatever you picked mm-hmm. up the comics. Um, I've always been fascinated with what voice you put to it because when you're reading it in your head, there there is a voice that's that gets attached to it over time. And before there is an animated series or before there's like a live action version, I've always wondered what people hear as that was oh unless maybe it's your own voice because i mean when me when i'm reading a comic and i don't have a voice to attach to it in my head i guess i'm hearing my own voice or some weird version of what i think that person sounds like and we all do imagine but i guess yeah kevin conroy embodied gave batman a voice if we didn't have one for him before maybe he's the voice that you imagined batman to always sound like before you had on a voice to for your brain to attach to it so I do think that's also why a lot of us feel or you know, are, are kind of down about this whole thing. And plus, it, and for some of us like us, it, it is a piece of our, a major part of our childhood that we, you know, that, yeah. that we lose too, that we continue to enjoy as, you know, as growing up and being, being adults and everything like that. So it's, it's one of those yeah, things that bridges sure. I mean, it. Yeah, for sure. And look, animated series still holds up, man. I was watching it this weekend, obviously watched a whole bunch of like uh Batman heavy episodes with uh with Kevin Conroy's acting ability and it, look watching it today it's like watching I've always said this about the animated series it's like watching Batman comic books live action not live action but come to life you yeah. know because it is still a cartoon um yeah and I think this there's just so much of that wrapped up for people of our generation and and even a generation after I mean a friend of mine who's much younger than us who I, I saw on Saturday and we were so Sunday or whatever, we were talking about it. And he was like, yeah, I remember watching it on Saturdays. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Cause they re-released it. So it's like, it's, it's multi-generational. And I also found out like Kevin Conroy was gay. And that was a big thing for the, the gay community that Batman, the voice of Batman was openly gay. And that kind of also like gave access to a whole different community to that character. So just the fact that he was able to, just embody that character and give it to so many people despite, you know, whatever, despite generation, despite orientation, despite whatever, he was able to make that character accessible 
and bring it to us. And and I think it's just it's beautiful. And I'm gonna miss him. I'm, I really am gonna miss him. He's, Batman is not gonna be the same for me after like in the in the animated stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I was talking with Rick earlier today, and uh, Rick is someone who admittedly like has never been like a huge DC fan. He's kind of just kind of opened up to DC over the last decade or so or something like that, maybe even less. And he was mentioning that he had spoken to some of his friends down in Florida about watching various Marvel stuff. And I was like, because Bat- uh, Batman's always been kind of like somewhat of a, a mystery to Rick, I guess, because he didn't like really read the comics or that. And he never watched the animated series. Wow. No, he never Rick did. A, he's such an anomaly, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were discussing it too, which is kind of like, I even told him, I'm like, I'm always kind of shocked that you didn't because for me, it was like, one of the things you watched after you got home from school, like you went yep. home and you did your homework or whatever, and then you kind of just knocked out that. It was like five o'clock on Fox Five for those, you know, those who are local who lived in New York. So it was like a thing. And if I remember right, it was like after uh, Tiny Toons, right? I think that's usually something what it was like that. Like. I think it was Tiny, Tiny Toons, Toons was... Animaniacs, then that. Yeah, yeah. Then that, it... that Warner Brothers block. Exactly, and. I was just like, well, what were you doing during that time? Like, exactly. Because, it, it, yeah, I don't know. It was just like, I guess he was playing, you know, baseball at the time it was on. And right. I was like, well, we were playing at different times and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it was just kind of always really interesting, um, you know, to, to discuss that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's it, he'll, he'll definitely be missed. And it just, you know, whatever games come out, you know they'll have a new voice, so we'll 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 see how that goes. But it'll Kevin Conroy will always be like the goat of voicing Batman for sure, for sure. Um, all right, cool. Uh, then let's let's jump on let's jump on to our our CW or DC shows that we got uh, to discuss here. Um, we got Star Girl season three, episode ten. Wow, there it is. Guys, I have notes, okay? I want to prove I have notes. This isn't me being lazy. I've been lazy before. Like, I'm going to admit last week, I didn't even watch Titans because I fucking forgot about it. And Ed had to carry me through it. All right, I admit when I'm going to be lazy or forgetful. This is not it. I can't talk about this episode like I talk about normal episodes. Because this... Look, this was a one. This was a three punch for me this week, all right? I had to deal with the death of Kevin Conroy... Kevin Conroy on on Friday, and then I had to sit today and watch Star Girl, and watch the Croc Sportsmaster and Tigress be murdered, and I had to do it knowing they were going to be murdered. Ed, I knew it. For, I don't know how I knew it. I knew it from the, the camp. This the second we got that awesome like Croc montage about like how well they're fitting in, and this whole episode. Like, we've talked, I feel so, I'm just saying I feel so betrayed by this show, because we've been talking this whole season about how this season's arc is, uh, who should, who deserves to be saved, who deserves to be a good guy, who who doesn't get that status, it's all them figuring out what what's good, what's evil, we have this actual beautiful moment with the Crocs and Icicle, the Grandpa and Grandma Icicle, which, the uh, Sportsmaster calls them that. I felt vindicated because I've been calling them that forever. Where they literally walk into the main antagonists in the, of the ep- of the season so far. Like we're meant we're led to meant to be led to believe that they're the main antagonist so far, and they broker peace. They literally go in and go like, 
no, this is not what your son wanted. It's not what we want. We only signed up because we wanted to be good parents. And I've, I, I hated these characters in season one, Ed. I hated them. And they grew on me so much because their whole motivation is to be good parents. And they're murdered. They're gone. They're not in this show anymore. Yeah, that's... We talked about it, too. Like, even his, his wife is, is a character that I was... I'd warmed up to, and like her her arc, I was completely all in on. And yeah, you could did kind of see it coming in the episode, and it just felt like they were like setting you up for it. I I know, but I was hoping they weren't. That's it. I was hoping they weren't. I was like, come on, this isn't that show. You're not going to do this. That would be mean. But I knew every single turn where they did something good. I was like, oh, the, the sh- when's when's the next thing going to come? When are they going to die? And they did, and it. I and there was this beautiful moment, like where where uh, Sportsmaster is like, Pat, we got to take care of our own, and Pat and his family are, are our own now. And there's this beautiful moment with Tigress where she literally saves Barbara. I wrote her name down because we always forget it. <laughs> we do, and it's fucked up. It is. It's territory. I wrote it down, but she saves Barbara from Grandma Icicle. Uh, who pretty much comes to the house to kill her, and Tigress pulls out a freaking crossbow and comes out of nowhere and is like, nope, not going to happen. Get get the hell out of here. And then trains Barbara to protect herself and pretty much says, like, you know, you're the first person who's considered, who's cared about me since my family, outside of my family. They have these beautiful moments together, and then they murder these people, and I'm not okay with it. <laughs> and so that's it. I, that's it. I... I got a lot of other stuff to say about the episode, but I had to get that out of the way first because I'm I'm not okay with with this show killing the Crocs the way they did. They they were the whole they. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure the show's going to do great stuff because it always does. It's it's a well written show, but like in my opinion, they were the main part of the thesis that even the worst of us can become good in the right time. And they, they were did the it. embodiment of frenemies. Yes, exactly. They were the embodiment of frenemies. And as soon as they became friends and the, the, the enemies were dropped, the hammer gets brought down on them. And I was just, ah, oh, that hurt. It hurt. It ripped my heart out, Ed. I wasn't kidding. And you watched this earlier today, right? It did. I, when, I t- when I texted you that Stargirl just ripped my fucking heart out, yeah. I had just finished the episode. No, I knew exactly once I read it. I'm like, oh, so he just watched Stargirl right now. Yeah. And it, it, it's a lot. It, it was it, it was a lot this weekend. It really was. Like Kevin Conroy will get to Black Panther Wakanda forever, which you know we all know. You know what would be emotional about yeah, the film, course. without course. even spoiling anything. Um, and then and yeah, and then this for those of us who watch Star Girl, it's it, it was a lot. Now, I think the reveal. Of who, you can't talk about that and not talk, not immediately right. discuss, address who You're did. right. And so the killer, this whole time, and I did not see this coming, I had many theories, this was not among them, uh, is Icicle himself. It, it's the original leader of the J, the, the ISA, or right, and just the yeah, ISA. ISA. Um, and and it, he, it's the son of Grandpa and Grandma Icicle, which I think is very important. And I think. This is going to reinforce the treaty, right? The, the treatise. This is how they're going to redeem themselves. I'm not going to be happy about it, but this is how they're going to redeem themselves. Because the Crocs make a great point to I, the icicle grandparents, right? 
And their whole point is this is supposed to be about family. And and we have to, if, if you kill them and they kill you and we know how this goes, this and that. And I think he changed their mind because, and going back into the whole, th- the whole treatise of like, you know, who's a hero and who's evil and who's good. The grandparents aren't evil. No, they're grieving their son and have a history of persecution because of their powers. So it's like, they're complex like everyone else. My theory is, is that they're not going to, or at least not all of them, the family, are going to align with uh, Icicle. But but he, he's it. He's the, he's the killer. He's the guy who's been doing all this. He's the mastermind. He's the guy who's been doing that weird jigsaw puzzle that I'd still like to know where he got it from. But makes more sense because maybe it was in his house. That's true. Now, do you think that maybe the parents take different sides? I do. Think I think the mother, the mother yep, yep. The mother goes with him, and then the father kind of sees what Pat and his and the uh, the, J- the JSA are doing. Yep. And yep, I think that's how it's going down, sir. And I think the son is going to initially side with the father and mm-hmm. be put into a situation where he's it tests his morality and he's going to turn on him. That's that's my theory. I, I want to mention another big moment there when Pat and Starman. And Sylvester, they go to their house, and it's brought up that they murdered his, her her son. And yeah. Starman offers a fist bump right there. Yeah, that I thought that I'm sorry, I thought that was hilarious. I no, was that like, was hilarious. That was great. I, what I love about that scene is um, Pat going, "Follow my lead. Don't don't lose your temper." Like Pat's in charge. Yeah, right? very much in charge. And we see that's a great flip because if you remember in the beginning of the season. Sylvester was always walking on Pat like you're my sidekick, and now it's like no, I'm, there's no sidekicks. I'm the one in charge in this moment, and I thought that was cool, and and that's why like when he, he tries to give the fist bump and it's not reciprocated, and uh, Sylvester starts to lose his temper, and Pat's just like, yeah, what are you doing? And he kind of calms down. Like I know I I do like that they're playing with that that dynamic of who's in charge and who's the sidekick and who's the hero, and the lines are blurred. There's no such thing anymore. Yeah. Um, another tidbit I wanted to bring up was regarding around Thunderbolt. Yeah, I got thoughts about Thunderbolt I want to share when you're done. All right, I know. There's just one thing. You can get more in-depth on this, but there's one detail. So somebody kind of, like, disappears or just reappears out of nowhere. And I think it's actually Cindy that, that appears, like, you know, kind of like how Batman would. Right. And Thunderbolt acknowledges, oh, wow, like Batman. Because Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt is aware of Batman and has worked with Batman previously. I I don't know if he's worked with him, but he's aware of him for sure. Okay, because remember, we're talking about a version of the DC universe where we're all assuming a Batman exists. I'm I was just kind of fascinated by that for a second because it wasn't like he was acknowledging a movie or a comic book or something like that. Like for him to drop that, that means that it's this it's like literal. Yeah, and I, I definitely, I definitely think there's a Batman in this universe. We're just not seeing it. There's a yeah. Superman in this universe. Like we've got the Justice League in this universe. If we have the JSA, we're just not mm-hmm. seeing it. Like, and this isn't nothing that's gone on in this this show has been Justice League level stuff. I mean, even Eclipso, no one knew what she was up to outside of uh, the town. So like, yeah. there's nothing would have drawn them. And Thunderbolt says uh, something like, you know, one of my masters from you know an old greek an old roman guy who got killed in pompeii yeah you know like so he's been around he knows a lot 
Here's yeah. my thoughts about Thunderbolt. Okay. He's not. Why does anyone use him? He's not a good guy. He's evil. He's working against them. He's an asshole. Like, He's an asshole. Know, he really is. Like they wish for phone service, and they're given a fucking phone booth. And it needs dimes, and you know you can't wish for dimes because he's just going to give you the march of dimes or something. Go <laughs> home. This was what made me realize that this 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 genie's evil. And if I had this thing, I would have made three wishes, realized it was evil, and I would have, I don't know, thrown it in a fucking volcano. I would have destroyed it and Thunderbolt because it's evil, right? Because they wish they're being chased by this albino gorilla, which we're going to get into because I've done research about this character. Yeah. Um. They are being hunted. They are afraid for their life. And Thunderbolt is making, well, it's apropos that you guys are going to die together, just like my masters who died in Vesuvius. And they're like, well, why couldn't you have just taken us home when we wish to go home? Well, you know, home is where the heart is, and that's what my master used to say. It's like, Fuck you, Thunderbolt. You know what I, <laughs> look, if I wish, if I wish that I had phone service here and you'd give me a phone booth, all right, fine. That is a loose interpretation I was of my wish. That's what you do. If I wish to go home, you cannot say, what do I have to say to make that true? I wish to go home in the house that I reside, in this address, blah, 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 blah. Get the fuck out of here. That guy's evil. Throw him in a volcano. Murder him and his whole genie family. Oh, my God. Because he does nothing to help anyone in this episode. Or hardly ever. <laughs> or hardly ever. He's not a hero. He is not a superhero. If he was wielded by anyone but a kid, he'd he'd be thrown in a volcano like I said he should be. Maybe Batman tries to destroy him. I look, I want to. I would watch the <laughs> shit out of that animated thing if they gave me Batman versus Thunderbolt. I'd watch it. <laughs> um. All right. Well, I mean, go ahead. Like. All right. So that brings us to the albino gorilla which is the next big bad, apparently, which is, so Cindy's chasing it because she she knows that um, it's an, she thinks it's an experiment her father did, and she's trying to get back in everyone's good graces and prove that she's not a villain. And we find out that this gorilla thing is a character known as the Ultra-Humanite. And I love the moment when they explain what this thing is, because Pat's like, yeah, so he was a criminal who was a, a thief and a and a doctor. We didn't even know if it was the original one. And then we thought we got him. And then they put his brain in this actress. Oh, that actress who won the Academy Award? Yeah, that was him. He won the Academy Award. He had taken it over. And they, they just put, and they're like, they, he puts his brain in their bodies? And Pat goes, yeah, I know. And only, certain, only certain actors can pull this beautiful line off which i did write down so let me find it but the one about the science fiction movie yes he's like um i know it sounds like a horror science fiction movie but uh it really happened <laughs> let's move on with that that's our confirmation yeah but, him acknowledging and being self-aware of how ridiculous it sounds i thought it. was great I absolutely love it. And he it's because Luke Wilson is so deadpan and earnest in everything he delivers that I'm just like, well, if Luke Wilson says it's possible, it's possible. It's you know <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, he really wouldn't be bullshitting about this. So I mean I, I kinda I'm I'm buying it. So they they say that he's the next big bad. 
this is how um, Courtney wants to get the McKents on board. She wants to get all the villains again, like they did with. She even says, "This is the next Eclipso," which I think that's cool. Like, yeah. that's her expectation. That would be your expectation if you were a teenager uh, fighting crime, right? Uh, with superpowers, um, I don't think it's going to work out the way she wants it to. But I did a little research into the Ultra Humanite because as soon as they named him, I was like. Oh, that's got to be a char- an obscure character in DC, and mm-hmm. I love me obscure characters, especially in DC, because they get some they go weird, they go really weird in the 30s and 40s. And so, the Ultra Humanite, ladies and gentlemen, for my homework portion, <laughs> debuted in Action Comics 1939 as a pre-Lex Luthor Superman villain. He had a run of not many, like maybe six or eight books. He was not an ape or a gorilla. He was just an old scientist uh, who was the smartest person in the world, had the best brain in the world, because that was a 30s thing. And eventually, like Lex Luthor just took that over, except they wound up resurrecting him in the Silver Age. And the way they explained his survival, because he was killed, like Superman, like killed him or like something killed him, not Superman, but something killed him. Mm-hmm. in this comic and that's how he went out so the way he actually survived and came back from the silver age was by grafting his brain into a monkey's body and that's how we get the ultra humanite <laughs> this definitely sounds like something that would have been on doom patrol as well oh god i hope god please give me the ultra humanite on doom patrol i would love this because they they had their gorilla that was on their last season that was they speaking did stuff, and it wasn't it wasn't this though and apparently the Ultra Humanite, like, although not prevalent in a lot of comic books, has some really crazy runs. Like, there's a run of, like, a multiverse story where the villains from two Earths come together and the Ultra Humanite convinces them that if they do this certain thing, it will randomly choose one Earth to destroy the heroes on. Mm-hmm. Except, like, what he's doing, like, he actually knows it's going to be his Earth, so he... The ultra humanite of that Earth destroys all of the, the Justice League, only of course to have him come back and serve him, serve him his ass. But yeah. uh, but he's had some weird runs. So this is an actual comic book character who was a JSA villain in the Silver Age. I I don't I didn't do obviously I'm I'm glad you did the research into the specifics, but I definitely had a feeling that that was no going to be something like that. I knew it was, and usually my what I do is I go Ed, who is this? You know. But I was like, this might be a bit too obscure even for you. I, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. I, I like I had a feeling that was the case. I just didn't really know the specifics for it. So thank you for, for looking into that. You're welcome. That's what I'm here. To say. All <laughs> right. So Professor Jason is done. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um all right, we got anything else on uh, Star Wars before we no, move f- on? Fuck you for killing the Crocs, man. That's all I'm saying. Whoever the showrunner <laughs> is, I get it. It's your plan. It's probably gonna be a great plan. But you wounded me this week. On top of Kevin Conroy, that hurt. Yeah, there, there. I love you to each other at the end was really fucking sad too. Oh my god, they're like dying and they're looking at each other, and they die right after Artemis gets accepted to her dream college. Yeah, and and they're just so happy, and they're like they've done it. They've become the good guys. They've done what they wanted to do. They've they've they're changing the world for their child for the better and. They're killed by icicle, and they just look at yeah. They look at each other, and I love you. I love you too. And then he like shatters them to make sure that you, as the audience, know they're not coming back. It's like, 
my God. The, I mean, look, writing and acting were great. Those two actors, MVPs. They, they were fantastic on this show. They really were. They really, really were. And But, yeah, I think this is like Dead Dead. This isn't, mm. There's no res- resurrection coming, as Thanos no, this, would say. This is Uncle Ben uh, and Batman's parents dead. Yeah, this is Dead Dead. So I'm very curious to know how Icicle is still going, but we'll, I guess we'll find out soon enough. They'll explain that, yeah. I mean, he was run down by a car, wasn't he? Shattered, yes. Shattered, yeah. He was also shattered, but I think it's a little different. Oh. Well, maybe maybe they will come back then. <laughs> no, I wasn't trying to throw out false hope to you because that's like awful. <laughs> I, I'm just saying they it just they both were shattered. All right, you know what? You know what? Mojo just come in and save me now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's get to our other DC show then. That is on HBO Max. That's Titan season four, episode three. Um, yeah, so. Jason, uh, those were some pretty... Cat was out of the bag already, so those were some wild episodes, the first two movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh they were crazy. I, I like. I kind of like, you know, it was like, yeah, yeah, this is good, this is good. But I rewatch, I watched them that night as soon as we went off. And, uh, yeah, that, that snake that comes out of Lex is awesome. Um, something that we had talked about that you would, uh, wanted to mention, and I would have mentioned, because it's a Batman-related thing if I hadn't <laughs> seen the episodes, but when Lex Luthor sends the uh, the ninjas, and he has that banter with Nightwing, where he's like, just know that this is just me getting your attention, and Nightwing, like, takes them all out, he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't know. This, this show is just cool. It is. It's a really... That's the best way to describe it. This is a, a cool show. Yeah. Um, but besides that, we found out last week that Dick Grayson really hates ninjas. And this week, he really hates magic. Because he flat out <laughs> says it. I yes. hate ninjas. I hate magic. magic. So Dick's, Dick's having a tough time this, this, uh, this first couple episodes here. Um, but yeah, so his whole thing is Mother Mayhem continues her thing, which we had theorized, I had theorized last week. She is pretty much grooming Sebastian to become mm-hmm. brother blood and and that would be that so she's setting the things in motion for that whole plan to happen but she starts off the episode by pulling a total t1000 and getting on a phone and speaking in someone else's that's the first thing that came to mind was terminated <laughs> yes, <too>. yeah. <laughs> yes. you know? like john where are you where are you <laughs> um, <laughs> your parents are dead <laughs> yes <laughs> um yeah, so pretty much luring him back to the video game place where last week he had pitched this video game that nobody wanted. Lures him there, and we get a really fucked up death. And before we even get that death, what an awkward scene. Because she like she calls him and does this voice, and, th- and she's like, we want your video game. We changed your mind. We like it. And he's like, but you said you hated it. Like, yeah. Really? And, and she's like, yeah, no, now we love it. Just come in and we'll talk about it. He's like, but are you sure? Because you hated it before. No, no, come in. And he comes in, and the guy's like, "What game are you playing? I told you I hated it." This poor guy is like, "But you, but but you said." And then, of course, the death scene happens. Yeah, so she pretty much kind of like hypnotizes him. He takes a pair of fucking scissors, which look at that. It happens to be right here, and she takes them and whoop, goes Ooh. ahead and puts them right into his fucking eyeballs to stab him. Close up. There's a close-up, Ed. There is. And I'm going to tell you, it's funny because we talked about it earlier. When we watch Brightburn, remember this moment when you watch Brightburn. Oh, no. Because oh, it gets a lot a worse than Brightburn. Movie, right? It gets a lot worse than Brightburn. Um, 
But yeah, so the guy goes ahead and pretty much fra it's frames Sebastian for the murder right there because he's screaming for help. And the cops show up almost immediately, which I love yeah. the fact that when Dick Grayson hears about this later, Ian instantly is like, yeah, this was a setup. Yeah, yeah, which it's this. funny because I didn't even like clock that because mm -hmm. I always think if cops show up right away, it's it's movie magic. You know, they yeah. just needed the cops there right away. But mm -hmm. I love that Dick Grayson goes like, oh, no, that's a setup. Guys, that's a setup. We know this now. <laughs> like, yeah, because this is a seasoned crime fighter, you know, who knows his shit. And right now cop. he's like, yeah, he's a former cop. And also, David, he's trained with the world's greatest detective for quite some time now. So... Dick Grayson is just badass in his show, and in this episode, he's even it's it's fully on display for for, for me in this episode because after the, that whole thing happens, and this is you know more or less we'll do a plot b plot, and this the a plot being brother blood and the whole thing being set up there, the he goes ahead and gets arrested for murder, gets brought to a, a police station, which on the other end, some of the Titans were tracking this. And going ahead, and Superboy goes ahead and saves him from Mother Mayhem because she's got Sebastian alone then, because that's what she was going for. But then uh, Superboy goes in, saves her, saves him, gets in a car with Dick, and they drive off. But then she has this smirk on her face while they're driving away, so which leads you to believe, okay, so she was trying to get him alone and now wants him to yep. be with the Titans, I guess, when he's activated or something like that. Because yep. That's what I kind of think this is leading to. Same here. Like the, there's something's gonna happen when they're alone, and it's as you said, gonna activate him. And like this is her plan, and I don't know what that plan is, but I'm I'm here for it. I want to see where it goes. Oh, it's a really, it's a really crazy plan. And earlier in the episode, we see her. She takes the gem that she took from Raven. Yeah, she's putting it in. It kind of furthers the Trigon thing that we talked about earlier because mm -hmm. it looks like she was returning the power of the gem to there, and her lackey that was there who stole a bunch of blood from a, I don't know why the cops had a bunch of blood in, in, into a thing, but I guess there was a reason they don't really explain it. Um, she's like, you're right. You're always right, though. So I guess we will. that'll further her crazy calculation over this master plan of hers that, that she has uh, in play. And just a real cool Raven thing since we brought her up. Like, she, she doesn't have super a lot to do in this episode, as mm -hmm. I remember, but... I love the moment between her and Beast Boy where she's eating yeah. and she's like, is this how you all feel every day without everyone's sadness and worries and, and, and despair running through you? Like, this is great. I really like this food. And it's like, it makes you, it makes you remember like shit. Yeah, no Raven's really an un unhappy, really sad, tragic character. <laughs> yeah. She's been through quite a lot, especially in the first season. She really right. went through a lot, and the the fact that her that gem causes her to feel other people's pain all the time. It's like, and just the absence of that pain is just joy for her. I don't know. There was something about that, like that exchange between her and Beast Boy, that I was like, this makes me get this character way more than I had before. So it was a small moment, but I wanted to point it out. No, that, that I'm glad you brought that scene up because oh, she also, by the way, smells maple syrup and takes a quick chunk of it. <laughs> That's right, yes. <laughs> Which I thought was, was really interesting. But Beast Boy, she's asking Beast Boy, how does it feel? But his response, though, is also like, I wouldn't know. Yeah, right. Because he's dealing, throughout his first three episodes, he's dealing with a lot of stuff where he's losing control. He's having these crazy visions. And they show it. It's like the sky is red. 
And I want to, I'll tie that into a second. I think they are tying this into a lot of things that are going on, specifically what's going on with the Church of Blood, because the sky being red there. And he starts telling a story of when the moon is full of blood and everything like that. So it can't be a coincidence that that's where this is tying into. So yeah. maybe he's getting these visions that they're gaining power and getting their new brother blood. And that's why this is happening. Um, but while, so the, during that whole thing, uh, Dick goes ahead and tries to investigate, you know, he's like, shit, we're dealing with magic. I need some help. He goes to reach out to an old friend named Jinx, who is got a, some kind of a pretty interesting comic book history as well. But in the, in the show though, Apparently, Jinx and Dick had previous, or previous, you know, kind of like messing around relationship, you know, one night stand type thing. There is no female character that Dick hasn't <laughs> dicked. It's that's what we're getting <laughs> so far, right? Like they're they're going with that. So it's Jinx. There was Barbara Gordon. Yep. Uh, Starfire, Starfire. Uh, seems to be his on again, off again kind of girlfriend that. Is here and there, not really sure. Like any 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 time a piece of tail walks by in front of him, man, he's just like, oh hey, he's like Pepe Le Pew. It's like, come on down, boy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so um, Coriander and Dick go to search out Jinx. She escapes the Gotham prison that she's in um, by putting her foot down, and like some crazy tornado shit happens, and she that was such a cool scene where where like they're bringing her at, and Dick is like. Uh, has she been solitary this whole time? Yeah, solitary this whole time. Which, by the way, cruel and unusual punishment. Just throwing that out there. Like, people yeah. go crazy. You keep... She's been in there for years. She would have been crazy. But anyway, you just see her, like, very slyly taking her foot out of her shoe. And Dixie, only one who clocks it, and he's like, wait, no, no, no. And as soon as she gets it on the ground, she becomes this whirlwind and she's gone. I just, the tension in that scene was spot on. Yeah, and he goes ahead and tracks her down to where he thinks that she's going to go. And it's pretty much she's stealing the heart of a dark elf that's there. And that's That was interesting. But once Corey looks at it, though, it turns her to stone. And she's done. And Dick needs to, you know, try to help her out there. So he, him and Jinx go ahead and go. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, you got to go to the dark elf, blah, blah, blah. Whole thing turns around because pretty much Jinx has a thing that she needs. We find out that she's five million dollars in debt, but that this this whole thing does lead to their backstory. And by the way, all right, the, the moment that you specifically, I thought of you when I'm watching this, is they're talking in the car as they're driving to this club to go meet this dark elf, and we find out in the past that Dick went ahead and turned her over to Constantine. Yes, in the yes. past. Yes, he did. So, this further, I, I, I mean, do, are we going to see him? We might, because I did bring this up last week. Like, like, are we going to get Constantine based on who our enemies are this this year? Um, his him being mentioned now, I, I don't think that's also a coincidence. Uh, did say it kind of like how it was said in the Samish. She said Constantine. So I don't know if that was just her accent. Or are we going to get Joanna Constantine, maybe? Or are we going to get John Constantine? I don't know. I'd be okay with either, to be honest. Yeah, I was just kind of, I just thought that was interesting. I personally, if I had to guess, would be, it was just the accent. And they're just, they're rolling with that. that Yeah, because they went Joanna Constantine in 
and Sandman for like you know legal rights like they didn't yeah. own the the rights to that character but that character is a sandman character so or wasn't sandman so yeah. they just altered it so i but they do own the rights here so i think if they're going to give us constantine it's going to be our constantine matt ryan come on let's go I, I hope it's matt ryan i hope so i really do um but yeah so we find out their history they have their little backstory uh and by the way and, and jinx also refers to their history as a pump and dump which I thought was interesting too. So totally I love just this. letting that dick is just a total white dog. He is. That's the thing. He's a fucking whore. He's an absolute whore, and I didn't realize how bad he was. But apparently, he's also this bad in the comic books. That I that I was aware of, and they're definitely. This is all comics accurate for those yeah. who. The second you hear oh, it happened in the comics, oh, it's legitimized. It's okay. It doesn't yep, matter what's it. going on. We're all good. <laughs> so if you're one of those fans, and yes, this is this is definitely comics accurate. Dick Grayson being uh, a pimp over here. But I I loved I love Jinx. I loved her character. I love I love the fact that she's trying to manipulate him because she's looking for the money. And the resolution to that is, oh, do, do you know who I am? I'll just give you the five million. Bruce will give it to you. What are you talking about? Like yeah. and she's like, you know, you don't get. I won't help you until there you go. It's an escrow. Just. Do, just save Coriander and join on my team, and that five million is yours. And I thought it was a, a great introduction to the character and a great way to get her on the team, right? Because I don't want her to be a bad guy. This is a cool ass, this is a kick ass character. I want her to be one of the Titans. So we're gonna get her at least briefly as a Titan, and I'm excited to see more of her. Yeah, she's. We're definitely gonna see a bit more of her. You're right. It was just kind of like, oh wait a second, Dick also has an unlimited bank account that he can tap into when he needs to. So. It, look, he might not be Robin anymore, but Bruce Wayne's still his dad. Come on. Yeah, he's still, he's still got his back, so that was taken care of. But I also did love the fact that this also led to freaking uh, Nightwing battling a Dark Elf. Because yes. she throws a bunch of blades at him, and he fucking just fights them off. He kicks some serious ass, and, uh, and it seemed like they were kind of like metahumans that he was dealing with. He fucks them all up. And deals with all these blades and, and pretty much kicks her in the back of the head when she goes when the dark elf goes to like take on Dick. Yeah. So again, just badass thing after badass thing with Dick Grayson in this episode for me. He was definitely one of like shining moments besides Jinx in this one. Um, but also speaking of Robins, we get a further thing with Tim Drake because in the episode opens, they do acknowledge that hey. You almost got killed in the last episode. I'm sending you, but Dick sends him back to Star Labs to go train with his new bow staff. And he does this kind of like sort of danger room type of training with Superboy. And it was kind of funny because Superboy is just like yawning, like while this is happening, like, yeah, okay, let's go. Hit me a bunch. It doesn't matter. None of this, none of what you're doing is is even phasing me. Um, so I thought that, that was kind of cool. But it does lead to them also tracking Brother Blood because they do find. That in Sebastian's video game was also the same sign that was left on the on some of the crime scene that was there. So I guess he subconsciously he was obviously chosen to be Brother Blood at birth yeah. because even when Mother Mayhem sees him and they have that moment where they're talking in the police station, she even says, "I've known you before you were born" and everything like that. Yeah. So this is just the succession that we talked about last week. So that's just further along. I thought that was pretty cool, but I also liked seeing Connor doing his investigative stuff, which is where it separates him from, like, Superman. Because you wouldn't really see Superman doing this kind of thing. 
This is no. his Lex intellect, no. like being detective at the same time, which I kind of did. I do too, and I think the show does a really good job about characterizing the fact that he is part Superman and part Lex. I mean, it would be I think it's it'd be easy to just lean back on, oh, he's Superboy, he's got the super strength, right? Yeah, exactly. He's the super thing, but they they really take pains to make you understand who he is as a character, to understand how this sort of Lex Superman thing eats him up inside and reflects on you know who he is in society as well as the abilities he brings. He's not just the muscle. He's also intelligent. So kudos to the show for not not forgetting who its characters are. Yeah, and I do love the fact, though, when he goes to do use his X-ray vision that his eyes light up to, like, an X-ray type of thing. I love yeah. the fact that they do that. They acknowledge, like, visually what he's doing. So I think that's, a, that's really cool. <clears throat> um, but the other thing, too, though, is that when Corey, when Coriander is turned to stone... She goes and revisits that diner that we've seen in the past, mm -hmm. and she has this conversation where it's like, you know, it's your, we're talking about her destiny again. And she's like, no, get away from me with this destiny shit. I've done the queen thing like she mentioned last week. I've done all this stuff. I don't, I'm good. I want to do my own thing now. But then she's also told, like, you were trained to be a warrior. This is the time. Your destiny is to save, to rise up, when the blue, when the blue sky is red, and the moon full of blood, that ties into what we're seeing with Gar's vision yep. and the brother, uh, the Church of Blood stuff. So I think they are tying this together pretty neatly. And I gotta believe those three storylines—that's where they're gonna intersect. You know, very shortly, actually. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. I 100% agree. And and they, they, I have so much goodwill toward this show after last season. Like, they can do whatever they want. I'm going to yeah. like it. They, unless they really, really, really go far off terrible, which they have nowhere near that because I think they're doing a great job. Uh, like, I have I have complete faith. It's like the I, I have the faith in this show that I do the MCU. It's like, whatever you do, I'm, I'm going to give it a fair shake. Yeah, I, I can agree. They've, they've given me three-plus good seasons right at this point, so... Yeah, and they gave me look. I, I saw that that interaction between you and uh, and Bert on Facebook about like uh, Bert's favorite season is the second, and you yours is too, but you also really like the third. It's like I I got a Batman season, guys. Like like that is like what I'm here for. And, and of course, I think that like the first and second seasons are amazing, mm -hmm. but like you give me the Scarecrow and you give me a fleshed out Scarecrow. Oh yeah, you can do whatever you want for the like next six seasons. Do whatever you want. I'll, I'll be singing your praises. Well, that's what I told. <laughs> that's what I told Bert. I'm like, I love season three. Season three is my favorite for the same reason you said. We just yeah. went ahead and you know we're fawning all over it because it was a god. It was set in Gotham, so yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. we we couldn't really give you for me and you couldn't give us any more there. Nope. And I love season two, so it's like. Three, then two slightly behind them. I did love the Deathstroke season. That oh, was it was so great. Fantastic. It was fantastic. Deathstroke was fantastic. Yeah, and season one was the introduction to it. But I, I do think two and three, if I had to rank them, would be three, two, one. Me too. And I love, enjoyed all of them. But I think that it's gotten better each season. I agree. I agree. And that that and and look, the only reason I won't be saying that about this season is not because of the quality. It's because we're not in Gotham City anymore, and that's just my that's my personal like. 
you do anything Batman, you've got me. This is not Batman. This still has me. This is great. This may be better than the last season. I won't be able to see it because it's not Batman. But mm-hmm. what I like about this show is it is always it's always evolving. It's always becoming better. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So that goes in and takes us to our movie of the week, which is yes. Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, tell them about the box office. Most have seen it, but here's your spoiler warning to get started. We, this is going to be a full spoiler discussion about the film. So if you have not seen Black Panther Wakanda Forever, go ahead and come back and give us a rewatch at another point because we're going to spoil the hell out of this and speak completely openly and freely about it. Um, but if you have, stick around, drop in the comment section. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts and, and possibly do our best to answer your questions because we don't know everything about everything so you know that's it um and though joining us for this segment is a good friend of the show who you've seen on with us before as well is walt what's up hey what's going on man what's up Walter? i'm good how are you guys good good we're having an emotional episode we're battling through some stuff it's not gonna yeah. be any easier coming on but you know <laughs> i'm seeing that also, just cyber, you know, I love sitting backstage and hearing you guys talk, and I'm not um, up to date with the CW, but, you know, I always bring little tidbits of trivia and things of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, Ultra Humanite. Oh, here we go. Oh, here, here we go. go. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Yes. I'm so, not surprised you know this guy. <laughs> so the Ultra Humanite actually is a character that I like a lot. Uh, I'm looking down at my phone because I'm gathering my thoughts for what I'm about to tell you guys. The Ultra Humanite is a character that is, he was in the Justice League animated show. Okay. And he's just a giant albino gorilla with a big brain. Okay. Um, And there was one episode that I remember very distinctly because I remember as a child seeing this and just laughing like horrendously all the time. He was recruited, he was in prison and he was the next door cellmate of Lex Luthor. <laughs> and... And he spent his days um, watching opera and listening to opera because he loves <laughs> classical stuff. And it gets better. He spends his days listening to opera and so loud that it would make Lex very upset. And in the very beginning of this episode, they say, like, this public access opera show is being canceled because we don't have funding anymore. And Lex says to him, listen, I have a plan. You'll get a lot of money. You'll be able to watch all the opera you want because you're going to be stinking rich. He says, okay, Lex, I'm with you. In this episode, and it's like the eighth episode of the series, they kidnap Batman, and they have Batman tied up, and Batman is, like, in a place where he can't, like, telepathically connect with the Martian Manhunter, so he's on his own, and he can't do anything, and the the members of um, Lex's team take turns watching Batman, and Batman's, like, like, talking to them and trying to connive each of them into turning on everybody, so he's constantly trying to make these bad guys turn, like, he flirts with Cheetah, he tells Ultra Humanite and like Grundy to fight each other because like one of them's getting more money than the other. And at the end of the episode, the Justice League busted, and you don't know who Batman was able to sway, who was able to like become a traitor for him. And at the end, you find out it was Ultra Humanite. And you're like, why did Ultra Humanite betray the team? And he eventually surrenders and goes to prison, back to prison with Lex in them. And they're like, <laughs> What did Batman <laughs> offer him? Like, and he just says to Bruce, like, make sure you uphold your end of the deal. And Bruce is like, I got you. Don't worry. Pan back to prison. He's <laughs> once again 
across from Lex Luthor. He's next door to Lex Luthor, once again playing opera very loudly. And at the end of the episode, it says, thank you, our show has been back through a generous donation from the Ultra Humanite and Bruce Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) Walter, I got to say 100%, I haven't thought about that episode in forever. I have seen that episode. Yes, you have. 100% seen that episode because that's the episode that I always point to how Batman proves his dominance over everyone else because he literally uses cunning and manipulation to get himself out of that trap without having to like flex a a muscle in his finger. Absolutely. So we have found a way, Walt. So you've joined in the show to discuss this segment, but found a way to tie in (laughs) Kevin Conroy with Stargirl at the same time. Bravo, my friend. That that was, that that was awesome. That was fantastic. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man that's great that's that was great. fantastic um but yeah so we we got ourselves in their brand new mcu film um which again is crushing it at the box office because that's what all of them do on every level known to man <laughs> even if it's by comparison um so i mean i guess let's go around with overall thoughts before we get into details and characters and stuff like that uh well you just joined us so what were your overall thoughts of the film? I thoroughly enjoyed it. Really loved the film. Um, I remember like preparing myself mentally for how this film was going to be. Obviously, the, the emotional level of it. And then I was actually speaking with Jason like before when we were talking about the runtime of the film. And that it seemed a little bit longer than like the standard for the MCU since Phase 4 began. And, and we came to the conclusion that... like. Well, it's probably going to be like, instead of just a regular three-act film, as most films are, it will be its three acts, but it'll probably have like a prologue, which is handling T'Challa. And that is how it went. And I think they handled it masterfully. I think it was very tastefully done, very respectfully done. Um, And then once that segment was over and we got into the film, I think the film on its own was very strong and had a lot of different intertwining storylines and themes that like I feel like I'm still unpacking. Like, I want to see it again, because I feel like there's more stuff I want to unpack, obviously. Yeah, no, I definitely agreed. Um, I mean, echo everything you had just said. Did you see it once or twice this weekend? I saw it once. I'm okay. ready to go again, though. Okay. Um, Jason? Oh, I love this. This was fantastic. Um, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a powerful movie. I love the fact that we, we, we don't have a bad guy in this movie, outside of the United States government. By the way, <laughs> they're the bad guys. But like, N- Namor is not the bad guy. He he's an anti-hero with very clear, understandable motivations. Uh, I love the way they handled uh, T'Challa's death. It almost felt like they were handling Chadwick Boseman's death, right? Like, um, we didn't even know he was sick until it was too late. There was nothing I can do. Why didn't he tell me? Like that that Shuri. But, like, isn't that kind of how the public felt when when Chadwick died, right? Like, we didn't even know he was sick. Like, people were talking about, oh, he got skinny. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. The the rumor mill was going. The fact is the guy was hiding from everyone that he had cancer. So that kind of felt real to me, and I enjoyed it. I loved, loved, loved the moment of silence that we get for Chadwick in the beginning. We get the, the, the opening credits. And, it, and instead of the pomp and circumstance and the big rising score and all the past things, it's just all Chadwick Boseman. And it's a moment of silence for the man. And I love that. And 
yeah, I just I I I love the I loved it. I loved everything about this movie, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Yeah, um, I, I also did. I think it was a lot of the uh, Jason. We just talked about it last week when we covered uh, the original Black Panther. What we were guessing was going to happen with this film, and we knew that they were going to address, you know, T'Challa. You, you had to. That was going to be the first thing we had estimated. The first 20 minutes of the film were going to kind of be what that was. And I agree I, with you 100%. I do think it's even further. They, you know, they said T'Challa, but you knew that they were addressing Chadwick's passing and everything like that, and pretty much yeah. how the probably how the cast and everything felt about him, and those emotions came through. I thought with a lot of the acting. Um, I think this that was one of the strongest parts of the film, and it was beginning at the end, and it was peppered through for different motivations for certain characters. The acting in this film was incredible, absolutely incredible. Angela Bassett is the first person I would want to shout out oh. with that. She was unbelievable. She's always great, but she was extra in this. Like yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if she was nominated, you know, for an Academy Award for for this film. And Just that scene where she comes in and and she like it's after the wakandan embassy was or the you know the wakandan like safe house whatever for the, for the vibranium was attacked and they're kind of trying to bring her to task for not living up to chichala's promise and she just gives this speech and then it ends with all of the mercenaries on their knees in front of everyone yeah. it's like wow like angela bassett gave that speech like guys angela bassett's in this fucking movie just being as awesome as she is and it's just shining through with the character in that moment just where she comes in and just commands this room i mean oh my god it was what an awesome performance and i think the the uh actor actress that i was the most impressed with was leticia wright because we speculated that i mean the only film i've ever seen her in were pretty much her marvel films like her shuri appearances i have not actually personally seen her in any other films but I, uh, Jason, I know you had speculated you were wondering if we were getting all of these extra characters and extra themes because they were maybe the MCU, was, I mean, uh, Marvel Studios was concerned that she couldn't carry her own film. She absolutely proved she definitely can. The, the yep. range of emotions that Shuri has to deal with in this film are, I mean, it's almost everyone you could imagine from beginning my, to end. My question was answered. She can carry a film on her own. That my question was answered. I I, I stand corrected. Yeah. Um, the fact she goes through so much emotionally in this movie, and so much of this movie rests on her emotional journey, and she sells it every single time, every single second. She sells it. She does such an amazing job. Uh, yeah. I agree. She really, she really stepped up. Um, I won as an actress. Like it was just like you saw so much more from her as a character. Um, in this film, I actually have seen her in one more thing. It was a single episode of Black Mirror. She's okay. in an episode of Black Mirror. Oh, which um, one? Where, um, Black Museum. That's oh, her. Oh, she is. Yeah, in that one. it is. And that's okay because I know she pretty that, much I know runs that. that episode. But, um, but in I I remember like in watching the film, the fact that they put her through through a, two of those funerals, I was like, oof. Then, like, the impact of just, like, she didn't burn the the thing, and then she needed it again. Oh, my God. That that yeah. was horrible. Yeah. Very, very amazing stuff. Um, Yeah, so I, I guess we can 
get into you know details, and I guess the person to start off with is Shuri. I mean, her entire like you just mentioned, her entire journey through this film, where it opens with her trying to save you know T'Challa, and they don't name you know what's killing him, but I think we all kind of assume they were going to yeah. stick to something similar to what happened in real life, and I feel like they do in this, and. It ties into a story thread, which I also I think this film does a fantastic job of tying in story threads that were set up in Black Panther. She's trying to recreate the the herb and she can't obviously because Killmonger burned them all down, so they're not just accessible. And I also wanted I heard, I had mentioned last week I wanted it to be something that wasn't like easily fixable by vibranium or something like that. Like it's not something that could be just easily fixed. And she tries to and she can't, and she misses. She can't be on her brother's side and. It, even her AI is kind of telling her you should, you might want to be there by his side, and that she has to kind of like get that information from her mother, and that's how her journey starts in this film. Um, wow, it's just I don't know. It's it's even a lot to even talk about right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Big kudos to the just the writers' room on this film. Like I just. After watching it, I remember like I'm driving home with my wife, and the first thing that I kept thinking to myself was like, "What would this have been if not for Chadwick's passing?" Because it seemed yeah. so organic and seemed like so like melded into the movie, like you said, like Killmonger's burning of the of of all the the heart shaped herb became such a major plot point for this film, mm-hmm. and I was just like, "Like what what was the plan going forward had this tragedy not struck us?" Because it seemed like, and so I say kudos to the writers who really took tragedy and something horrible happening and turned it into really amazing art and really amazing story progression. And it's just really well done. Yeah. I I agree. And I kind of wonder, I'm sure it would have been as good, but it would have been so, so I'm not wondering that, but it would have been different. Like we, because this is a Shuri led movie, we get to see, we get to spend a lot of time with her and they get to really explore her grief as opposed in juxtaposition with the grief of Namor, uh, you know, or the Submariner as he's known in the comic books, uh, or Namor as I always called him, but that's not how we call him. That's not, that's, that's I not used to say, pronounced. I used to say Thanos also, or right, something like that. Yeah. I used to say his name wrong completely for years. We don't know, we don't hear that stuff spoken. No. Um, but like, we get some great stuff between her and him where they're really connecting as people through and also understand each other because they're, they are very protective of their own, right? Anything to protect our own. And that's why Shuri goes to their kingdom. That's why her and Namor connect. And I do kind of wonder, like we wouldn't have had that if we, if this, if Chadwick didn't pass and I'm I'm really am curious, what would we have had? Yeah, and I know there was interviews that mentioned with like Ryan Coogler had mentioned that they had finished like once they got the information that Chadwick had passed, the the film was written already, like it was done, and they were ready to you know they were to start like pre production and stuff like that. So they had to kind of like scrap the whole thing and start from the beginning for start from scratch. Which seeing this film and, and laid out and Shuri's whole thing, like it they had to, it, it's kind of astonishing that we got what we got. Considering what they had to deal with in the time frame they had yeah. done it from, um, but I think I think Namor was always supposed to be the villain, in, or you know whatever the villain because I'll Antagonist. put that in quotes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of like I, I do think I I did see a lot of 
him as being similar again i'll use quotes villain as killmonger was like see but not I, like I, villain villain but but i'm i'm gonna disagree on one point and walter and i were talking about this today okay. and i feel very strongly about this killmonger is absolutely like if we put aside the killmonger was right because you know philosophically Killmonger's right but like what he's doing is kind of an not right right mm -hmm. but I would say that some, uh, Namor is not the villain because philosophically what he's doing is right and for his people and for his town and, and, and for what he's protecting, his actions are also correct. Because, mm -hmm. like, the, the, the other states, the United States and the other world powers are 100% looking for vibranium and they have it. They will 100% murder for that vibranium if they have to. Mm -hmm. And Namor's lived through that his whole town had to become fish people to survive colonists like this so whereas i think killmonger was reacting to some reacting to a a wrong that was done a long time ago which was terrible but there were other ways that you can kind of try to right that wrong societally because he is in our society he is one of us in our you know in our, our society this is a society unto itself that is a hundred percent in danger if it doesn't take up arms. And so when Namor goes, I'm gonna wipe them all out if I have to, I I don't think he's the bad guy in doing that because if your family wants to take what my family has, and other families have done that before, and I gotta protect my family, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bat an eye about killing you and yours. And I think that's where he is. So I don't think he is a bad guy like Killmonger. I don't think he's a villain at all. I think he's just the antagonist because we're not in his society. All right. Well, I, actually, I'm, that's interesting. We, I know we had jumped to to, to Namor at this. Yes, yeah, sorry, we did. But... No, which is fine. We can get back to Shuri in a second because I think this is this is you got something good going here. So, Walt, what was your perspective on on this? What we're talking about the comparison between Killmonger and and Namor, which I think is going to be a logical thing where people are going to. I, I agree, yeah. and like like Jason said, we were speaking earlier about this because he was asking me like, "Do you have you been hearing?" Because he knows I I'm on the internet all the time. I just live on in the virtual space. So I'm constantly reading reviews, like skimming and what and hearing what people say. So one big thing that I got from a lot of people um, was that some people felt that this movie was very similar to the first Black Panther because Namor and Killmonger kind of represented the same ideolo ideology and same ideas kind of in that like let's take back or get back at those you know that have wronged us or things like that mm -hmm. and i also like feel like it's not exactly the same it's not cut and paste and also like when i think of like the villains of marvel right like walking out of the theater i didn't think well let's add him to the list of villains of marvel you know usually after a marvel movie you're like Oh, where does he stack up against the Thanoses and the Lokis and, and you know and the and the Killmongers? And then I don't think Namor fits in with that crew. Like he wouldn't be invited to the to the club with those guys <laughs> because he's really just doing his own thing. And I and I I say it's very impressive because in this in in movies at least it's not as easy as it is in comics to develop like an antihero. Yeah. Like that term antihero is something that's really like dubious and hard to really pinpoint. And I think they did a really good job of giving us a movie that had as an antihero. So he's like not a villain. He's the antagonist of this film, 
but he's an anti-hero because he's really doing what's best for his people. He's doing the right thing for his people. He just doesn't give a shit about other people. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like, listen, either you're with us or you're against us. I mean, it's it's kind and of basically it's essentially what he tells Shuri. Uh, and he and he tell and that's kind of what his thing is because he even proposes at one point like, listen, kind of we should we should team up. We should kind of help each other out, or I'm gonna wipe you guys out. One yeah. or the other. That's what's gonna right. happen. Uh, and, but I agree with you though. I agree with you both 100 percent that you're right. This is this they do get him as an anti-hero, which we had seen Black Adam a couple of weeks ago, which kind of I don't think that nails the thing quite as much as I enjoyed that film. I don't think it, this does it a bit more. Like I can see mm -hmm. Namor down the line being side by side with other heroes in this if the mission or anything like that is what's best for his people or you know there's also the belief that the thing is being set up where by the end of the film with Namor's thing cuz he has that he has that conversation at the end in the prologue where it's like i can't believe you you went ahead and you kind of bent the knee to to wakanda like you you know and he's like no we did what was best and everything i just want you you would assume that it's being set up that maybe they're going to distance themselves from him and he's going to not necessarily be with you know with his people for so long and it may be something there you know to, to unpack there so yeah, no, I, I agree. It could be true anti-hero. Like, we've heard about Venom being anti-hero. Like, that yeah. thing's thrown around. Just because a studio wants to make a movie about a villain, but we all know right. as a villain, but, you know, they're going to win it this way. Anti-hero definitely this. nailed in, in this film. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah. no, no, please, go ahead. No, I just said anti-hero, like, uh, has been nailed best in this. This is the best example of anti-hero that I've seen in a film. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's definitely up there. Uh, and, and what I like, too, about it is <clears throat> the, the, the actor. This actor, by the way, is amazing. Uh, I don't know him from anything. Walter and I were talking about him before. Uh, but I, I loved his portrayal here. And what he does best is there are times when he is menacing and scary. And he's not a guy I want to I get on his bad side. But there are times where he's genuinely good natured like when when he's showing shuri around he doesn't want to hurt anyone like he's he's doing what he has to do right and and this is why i say he's not a villain and that he's you know an anti-hero sure but even i would even argue he's a hero in his own people's view and just not ours right a hero is a relative term because he's he's not a bad guy he's he's not hurting anyone for fun if it were up to him everyone would just leave him the fuck alone and his town and his kingdom and no one would bother him. And until they were looking for vibranium, it's exactly what he and his did. And so, and then when he goes with Shuri, he has this great moment. Yeah, we're getting along. We have a lot in common. I'm a good guy. You're a good person. Oh, I'll murder everyone you care about. If you come to me, uh, you know, come to my home and try to do that. But Hey, if you don't do that, we're good. And then even at the end where, uh, they where you had brought up in that prologue scene, like, well, you know, I, you kneeled to them, and he's like, no, 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 I didn't kneel. I wanted an alliance. She showed mercy when she didn't have to, which means she's in. She, she's someone who can be trusted. We now have that alliance. The world is going to attack Wakanda, and we're going to have Wakanda's back, which means we're going to come out on top. Like, there's just such 
such intel such an intelligent take on that character that that's why I don't even feel I I would even be willing to argue it's not even an anti hero. It's just a hero in a different culture representing different values than we have because everything he does, if he was doing that for Wakanda or the United States or the Avengers or people that we have gotten to know in this world, I don't think we'd be calling him an anti-hero. I think we'd be saying he's the hero of this movie. True. And and I think by another comparison, I think that would be, is going to be natural as people are going to compare at least visually or the idea is Namor to like Aquaman. Like, wait, isn't he like Aquaman and things like that? And obviously yeah. the MCU, they've adjusted it where it's not, uh, you know, Atlantia, Atlantis. Like that. Yeah, Atlantis, it's not the same, which is, I liked. I did like the fact that they altered that to make this its more of its own thing. And also the characters are not exactly the same, besides just being under people who can breathe underwater and, you know, that type of thing. They are very different characters. Um, but I do think visually they, I think the MCU handled the speaking underwater and the underwater uh, interactions much better than the uh, DCU did with that. I just kind of, that was something that stuck to me, especially when Nemo's speaking to, you know, they speak amongst each other. It wasn't like, wait, we got to create air bubbles and things like that right. and everything else. Like it seemed like it was a little, it was a lot smoother. It was natural. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, that I, I, would, I would love to like take a second just to talk um, diversity. I'm wearing my, oh, my Mexico Jersey. Cause um. I have a really interesting connection with this film and like I feel like once I see it again and the more I in encounter it, it's gonna like rise up the list for me because like I'm a very interesting position and that's one of the reasons Jason brought me on the show is I am an African-American I totally align with Wakanda my wife is Mexican so there was a heavy Mexican influence or not even I can't even say Mexican because she explained it to me and I've been talking to her in prep for the show and that like Namor's culture was representative of Mesoamerican culture which is not solely in Mexico, like the Mayans were like the Mexico and then Central America as well. As well. Um, and Tendo Huerta, phenomenal, amazing actor, like really like took the role over and did an amazing job with it. And once again, I'm like clapping my hands to the writer's room because they did some really clever things. Like his name alone, like his, his name is just, his name is Namor, but then they like, found a way to write it into it, like El Nino Sin Namor. So I chose the name Namor. Like that's so freaking yeah. clever. And I was like, I, I remember hearing the line and just thinking to myself, that's some BS I would do on like a paper in college. But you made it work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's, that is so cheap. That is so clever. And then I was also talking to Jason about how meta it is in that a lot of the conversation leading up to it was like, we were like, how do you say his name? Like, I say Namor. Is it Namor? Like, I saw in the trailer, he said Namor. And then even in the movie, he says, he says, you know, my people call me Kulkulkan. My enemies call me Namor. And then for the rest of the movie, Shuri, who was there when he said that, still proceeds to pronounce his name Namor. And I feel like it's kind of meta in like in the real world even when someone has a name that they tell you how they pronounce it, people from other cultures will probably pronounce it wrong. <laughs> so I, I don't know if it was intentional, but it seems to me like such a meta way to like, just make his name so significant because Shuri, Riri Williams, they all still say Namor. He says Namor. His people say Namor from time to time. 
And I'm just like, we still don't know how to pronounce <laughs> the right way to say his name. Um, but yet the 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 representation and the way the uh, the under underwater city Talocan was presented was just so beautiful. The architecture was like very accurate. I've done research. I've been seeing a lot of videos and people doing video um, analysis of it and saying like the architecture looked really beautiful. It was really well done. And I even saw a, a TikTok from the premiere that like kind of made it made my wife emotional. But it was um, Tenochtuerta, uh, the girl who played America Chavez from Multiverse of Madness. She was at the premiere. And then the current president of of visual effects at Marvel Studios is a woman from Argentina. So it's just wow. a video of them on the wow. red carpet. And they're on the red carpet just chatting with each other in Spanish. And like the capture of the video is like, nothing to see here. It's just representation, like literally just existing. Like it's not <laughs> being, there's not a show being put on. Like, look at these guys talking to me. They're having an, an interaction. And it's just really cool that we're at a point in life where like you can be walking on the red carpet and out of earshot, you can see a group of people having a conversation in Spanish and it's not something that's like a big deal. It's like, okay, they're living their lives and I'm going to, yeah. you know, live my life all Wakanda forever and you'll do this and we'll just keep it pushing. <laughs> and it's just really beautiful to see that done. And also my last note on this is on Tenochtuerta specifically, because my wife was explaining to me, even in some Latin American cultures within the culture itself, there's a bit of colorism in, in, in there. So the fact that him being a more darker skinned Mexican man getting this role is also a big deal um, because it's just not a role that would typically go. And there's even to like currently some like very controversial discourse going on in, in like pop culture and the media in Mexico about, well, why did they pick this guy? You know, why did they pick like a lighter skinned Mexican person? And it's kind of depressing because you would think like they would just gather around and support their own. And, but like, it's not always the case. And that's, that goes for people around the world in general, you know? So it just goes to show we, we've made it far, but we still have a long way to go. Uh, absolutely. Um, that's unfortunate that that's yeah, still a thing that's happening, but mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't see that video of, of that on a red carpet. That is tremendous. That I'll send it to you. Thing. No, no, please, no, please do. Yeah. I, I would like to see that. That was, that was pretty awesome. Um, yeah. And, and another thing too is regarding the character, at least, is they talk about his strength, which is a big deal. Because yeah. they talk about how he has cool. to kind of like be away from the water. And M'Baku has a great thing where he just says it straight out. Like, <laughs> this guy is as strong as the Hulk. So <laughs> can we just like acknowledge like, because he punches him because I love him, which by the way, I, I did, we'll get to M'Baku in a minute because he's just awesome every yeah, time like, he's on screen. MVP. I think yeah. we can all agree he's MVP in this movie. Yeah, yeah we, we were talking about want a Disney my king Plus show. of Wakanda currently. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. We, we need the Disney Plus show. We know that Ryan Coogler's uh, production company is working on some spinoffs. One of them needs wait. to be on M'Baku. Are we getting a Baku show, or that you're just saying? No, no, I'm be. just saying they should be. I know the Iron Heart okay. show is is one of them that's being produced by, yeah, and that's going to be great. Show. But yeah. give me a Baku. Yeah, we we need to see the Shibari <laughs> tribe like get their own show, headed by Baku because that's going to be awesome. But he does say flat out because he's the all about once he hears about we should kill this fish man. Let's just go and do this. And then when he sees him, he's like, 
there he is, the fucking fish man. I'm gonna go after him, and he tries it. And he gets and he his gets chest caved in. I was sitting there. I was sitting there, and I I knew something. I knew I knew sadness was gonna happen. I knew bad things were gonna happen, right? And when they punched him, Baku, and they they slowed it up, and you saw and you see the crack chest, in the armor falls, and apart. you see the crack in the armor, and I was thinking. You better don't you fucking no. dare kill this man right no. now. You already took the the world took T'Challa from me. Don't take Mbaku from me. Yeah, so his he's definitely a for is gonna be such a force to be reckoned with, besides in this film, but moving forward. Yes, I'm yeah, always we- I'm always trying to like power scale. The MCU, you know, like I'm always thinking about because like at my at my heart of hearts, I'm still a kid, like a nerdy kid at the cafeteria table wondering who would win in a fight, this guy <laughs> or this guy. And like this and I was telling Jason, I feel like this is one of the most impressive introductions of a character. Like that first scene alone with yeah. the helicopter, I was like, oh, yeah. Those yeah. little wings on his feet can work. <laughs> <laughs> and in the comics that you look at it, kind of like it comes off as maybe looking kind of goofy and stuff like that. But in this, it is powerful. Yeah. Like it means something that he's 100%. got these damn things. It looks and good. Even Shuri at one point is like, did you see the wings on this man's feet? Like what's and going on here? Part of the way that Shuri beats him at the end is she cuts one of those wings off. She does. Very mm-hmm. smart. Like, yeah, and and so they're they're a big thing, and they I think they look great. I think they look even better on the with the kid version when you see it. Yeah, right. I think they look even better on him, but I think they look great on on Namor as well. Like, and it's something that if you told me, I'd be saying that. Yeah, Submariner's winged feet are gonna look great on on the the big screen. I would have been like, <laughs> of course it was. And Daredevil was a great movie with Ben Affleck. Sure it was. <laughs> but no, but but here we are, man. It looked great. I feel like they really went out of their way to, and in, in similar vein of like She-Hulk, where She-Hulk was very responsive to the things that were said on the internet. I feel like this movie also took that into account because I had, knew a lot of people were like saying, like his winged feet, how does that translate to the MCU? Which is like, a hyper realistic scientific thing like how's this gonna work and like in the scene like which is my one it's become one of my favorite mcu scenes because it was just so impressive but his attack on wakanda like there were so many moments where they like they kind of like zoomed in on his feet like on on like uh, the angles that he was attacking from and there was moments where like above all the audio and the score and the music you could hear like and i was like why is this so intimidating to me? <laughs> Why this is menacing? By the way, this power scale thing is something that we screwed up on because I should have kept those damn Marvel Universe cards that I collected as a kid, and they all had the scales and stuff like that of yeah. who was stronger. Now you gotta flip them over and whatever, man. Like it was, it's I don't know if I'm liking something. But he's he's um, a big hitter in the MCU right now. He's definitely oh, up he, there. For sure, and and for to compare him to the Hulk is like, all right, now now we got an idea of yeah, where the hell no, this guy huge. is at right here. Yeah, and also I want to point out how awesome it is that the Atlanteans have the ability to sing and draw people overboard to kill themselves, and they explain it like it's the sonic attack because that's literally the lore of mermaids and yeah, mermen, sirens. Like, yeah. yeah, the sirens, right? Like from ancient Greece, even. And so that kind of that denotes that that or you know that that kind of shows us that um, 
these are the mermaids of lore. These are the sirens mm-hmm. of, of lore. Like in all these epic poems and stuff where sirens exist, it's the Atlanteans. And I, that to me was super cool. And it was such a small thing, but it was awesome. Um, yeah, and I, I think that also takes us to, so that whole thing where Riri goes ahead and, and we find out it's Riri that builds the machine that's tracking the vibranium. So I guess that kind of brings us to, we can talk about uh, Riri Williams in this film a bit. Um, she's a character who, who's introduced. She's the one who, who builds that machine unknowingly. She builds it as a school project from kind of like from scraps. And mm-hmm. then the government takes it <laughs> and is, of course, like, okay, we're going to go ahead and find some vibranium starting what could be a vibranium arms race. Because now, of course, everyone knows it exists. And that's another driving point behind this film. Um, but Riri was, I, I was very curious to see how she was going to be introduced, if they were going to tie in her comics background, her connection to Tony Stark at all or anything like that. Still, not not really. We don't get that in this film, but it is a, some things are alluded to, like when they see her drawings on her on her chalkboard. It's like, wait, even sure is like, hey, is that Stark Tech that's going on there? And we see that. And I do think that there's two. I got two callbacks to the original Iron Man that were here, like that the scene when she takes her suit for the first time and she's flying up, and seems like she keeps pushing it and pushing it and going up and further. That kind of took me back to the original Iron Man when he's taking his first flight. Mm-hmm. At that point, and also the obvious one we saw in the trailer, where she's hammering it out and she's there with, working away, but she knocks out like what's shaped like a heart this time to kind of signify something else. I took those as, as two callbacks to Iron Man, but Rarity was great. She was comic relief at times when she had to. She was also, you know, heart of it. Um, she was cool though, and she it made me a lot more excited to get the Disney Plus series that we're gonna get. You know. You know, pretty shortly, actually. I think it's late next year. I think it was yeah. fall 2023 we're getting it. Yeah, I, I agree. I really enjoyed her. Um, I don't know anything about that character. I know people are pissed off that she exists. Uh, that's about all I know about that character, because I, I just haven't read comic books in a long time. Mm-hmm. But, like, I was watching this going, you know, if, if Tony Stark were alive today in the MCU and met this woman he would really like her. Like she's very much her personality is very very Tony Stark where she's just like, look, I'm brilliant and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I got something to prove and a chip on my shoulder. And let, let me show you what I can do. And I think like that essentially is what Tony Stark is, except Tony Stark has a lot of money and, you know, background and she doesn't. So I don't know. I, I think, I think if RDJ Tony Stark was alive today, God rest his soul for saving us from Thanos and bring and bring the blip to an end. Uh, I think he would approve of of, of this, um, and I'm ex- I'm super excited to see her show now because I really did enjoy her, and I I thought you were right, Ed. She's funny at times. She's dramatic at times. We get that awesome moment at the end where it where she's got the suit and it's her job to get Namor into the. The, the spaceship or whatever it is so or you know the the, yeah. the plane to to put the heat lamps on them and i don't like that actress does a great job with every facet of the character they've given her so i'm excited to see more of her in the show yeah no definitely agreed she she was very 
very well done um, as a character. I I read Riri Williams comics, so I was very sad when, like upon the announcement of her character initially. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm sad that we're gonna get this character, but not get the connection to Tony Stark, like a true passing of the mantle type thing. And I feel like they handled it well. Like it's it doesn't have to be a mantle being passed. It can also be someone choosing to take up a mantle. Mm-hmm. You know, or just like fill a role or fill a need or do. And they didn't even make it seem like that. They just made it seem like this is just her, you know, her God-given ingenuity. And this is how she chooses to express it. And and I think it was really, really well done. And also, this movie, really so many powerful women, like across the board. For sure. Like Shuri, Riri, um, the return of um, Nakia, Okoye. Queen Ramunda, like so many powerful women, not to even mention um, Namora, uh, who from the Atlantean yes. side, like very, very well done. Um, that I'm pretty sure it definitely passes the Bechdel test. I don't know, do you guys know the Bechdel test? So, yeah, for Bechdel, sure. Yeah, so I definitely pass it. Explain it just in case anyone listening oh, doesn't know. Understood, yeah. So the Bechdel test is a test for um, movie diversity and basically just acts like, is there a scene where there are two named woman characters having a conversation about something that has nothing to do with a man. And you will be surprised, everybody watching, and you should look this up, Bechdel test, B-E-C-H-D-E-L. Some of your <laughs> favorite movies do not pass because there's just never a scene where there are only two women on screen talking about something that doesn't have to do with a man. Like, a lot of your favorite movies do not pass the Bechdel test. Not all of the MCU even passes the Bechdel test, which is no, no, amazing. No, definitely not. Yeah. Um, but I also do wonder if... So I, I guess what we get of Riri is this illusion, like, they, they allude to, like, her father in this, right? Like, you know, when they when they, she, when she has the car and everything yeah. like that. Um, but I do wonder... So she we know she goes to MIT because that's where... They go to to get her right because the whole thing is they're kind of sent by no more to like you got to track down a scientist who built this machine. I do wonder they if they left a lot of that they gave us enough what we needed to enjoy the character for this film. But I think her origins are going to be further explored in her series, which is going to be my best guess. But I do wonder like I want to throw it back to back to you is is that do you think they're going to try to? connect her to Tony being that Tony did was at MIT in civil war and kind of gave like other grants and things like that. Maybe they do have some sort of a connection in the past, or do you think they're going to drop the Tony Stark connection completely? I was just kind of wondering about that. I can see them touching on it. Um, mainly because like I, I heard them say, you know, Stark tech in the movie. So I'm like, it's not like, it's not completely, unfathomed and clearly there's inspiration there you know mm-hmm. even though like the red the red color scheme that she chose to go with is like it's like not just any red that's his red you know yeah. like so i'm sure they're gonna touch on it and like like build it up but i hope that they don't go out of their way to to like make her like a, an homage to him and like let her remain her own character i hope oh i i agree i mean yeah. plus i think the tony stark in the mcu is a bit different because in the mcu he's seen as He's the guy who sacrificed himself to save the universe. Like, there's murals of him that we saw in, in a couple of the Spider-Man films and things like that. Yeah, there's, there's a whole thing. So I, I still get emotional. Yeah, that's, I, I, I agree. God. And that's the way he's seen it. So that's why I can maybe say they could, they'll tie it into something with that. But I, I agree. I don't want them to do, do it too heavy-handed and just kind of like, 
I don't know, whichever way they go with it, I'm cool with it. I was just kind of wondering if they were going to maybe possibly explore that in her, her film. But I also think there's something interesting for the grander MCU with Riri is she goes to MIT. There's two other MCU characters that also go to MIT now that used to know Peter Parker. There's the three of them, actually. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. MJ, I also did Ned, not think about that. MJ, <laughs> Ned, um, and shit. Um, come on. Flash, right? Flash, yes. Flash Thompson, who are all going to MIT, who have no connection to Peter Parker. I wonder if we might see some sort of maybe a cameo by one or two of them, maybe, in her series. I'm here for it. I can imagine, uh, her, here for it I can imagine Flash paying her to do his homework. Oh, Flash yeah, has yeah, endless yeah. money. Yeah. <laughs> and she and I would love to see her turn it down now because Shuri at the end of the movie is kind of like, listen, you might want to end that little yeah. uh, side hustle you got going on there. So I don't know. I, I just I thought that was fascinating that they had her going to MIT. And I just wonder if it's not a mistake because they really ever have coincidences. Oh, never. In, in EMCU. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I think we might. Have, now that you mention it, we might see those characters. Or one in of those characters, yeah, in the show. yeah. making a cameo. Yeah, and they don't have to even. You don't even have to mention Peter because they don't know Peter. Don't no, know there's him. no None reason to mention now. Peter. No one knows oh. Peter. Who's yeah. Peter? Yeah, and that that'll obviously be hard. <laughs> 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 who's Peter? Who's Peter? I need T-shirts to say who's Peter. Who's <laughs> Peter? Uh, so, yeah, no, I Baku? thought it was cool. Yeah, we, you want it, that's where we're going next. Let's let's, let's yeah. go to Mbaku. Then. Let's I'm go to Mbaku. Des- I'm desperate to talk about Winston Duke. I love the man. <laughs> take, take, I love it, take it off, my dude. Go ahead. Man. Go with it. Um, first of all, I will say um, my family is from Trinidad and Tobago, and Winston Duke is from Tobago, so he's practically my cousin. Uh, <laughs> I'm claiming that. I'm, I'm speaking it into an existence. Why, why not? Just... Um, wow. What a, what a great character. Um and he's been actually talking about the film very much on Twitter. So I follow him on Twitter. And he said, and I quote, he uh, he said that um, Mbaku serves as an emotional vent for the movie. So not comic relief, but an emotional vent. Meaning that if the scene was too funny, he would be serious. If it was too serious, he would be funny. And he also said that he improvised lines. And I think that's awesome because I I don't think that anyone in the entire MCU is allowed to improvise except for RDJ. <laughs> so the fact that he says that he had improvised lines and they just let him be him is hilarious to me. And he said that his favorite line that he improvised was calling Okoye a bald-headed demon. Dude, <laughs> that he made that up on the last... spot. <laughs> that, in both times I've seen this film, that got the biggest laugh. The second he actually, the second he shows up eating the carrot, people are just started laughing. Yeah, they were just like, "All right, here comes he's gonna start some shit right now," and we know it. He's always there to start shit. I love it. My favorite Mbaku moment of the whole movie, I was telling Walter this before, is when they when Namor and the Atlanteans attack uh, Wakanda, and he's kind of looking around and he sees the the fishing boat go over. And without a moment's hesitation, this motherfucker looks around and, says, and just jumps right in and saves him. He does zero shits given for what might happen about this. This job has to be done. Let's do it. That's my favorite Mbaku moment. My favorite Mbaku moment, and a lot of them are the, the funny ones, but I'm going to just, I 
I don't want to, but I'm going to have to turn it to the more serious moment he has in this. He has a yes. moment with, with Shuri where he's going ahead and she it's at the um, it's at Ramonda's funeral and he's talking to her. And another callback to the original film, which I loved, where, you know, he's like giving his condolences and she's like, well, what happened to the child that they turned everything over to? You know, like I thought what happened to that? And he goes, you know something? You've been through enough. You've been through so much loss and everything. You know, we're we're, we're past that now. We're gonna we're gonna move on. I thought that was phenomenal. That was such a great moment for the character. Besides the one we had mentioned, the you know the Hulk thing and the Fishman sighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the scenes you guys just mentioned. It's just every it's time he's character. on screen, he steals every scene. So. Yeah, he he really just so so much gravitas. So when he walks in, the whole room turns. Um, I saw a video of him at the premiere as well, and he's walking the red carpet, and he's doing the the chant at the red carpet that he does <laughs> in the movie. And his fellow, the actors that play his fellow Jabaris are also there walking with him. So he walks into the premiere, and he's like, Ma, Pa, Ooh. And everybody's like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and then, awesome. He is M'Baka. <laughs> he really is. Uh, it's funny because when I when I saw him in in Us, I was kind of expecting him to be in Baku again and totally different character, whatever. No, he's just a goofy guy there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, he's, he's a dad. Just, he's, just a, he's, yeah. he's just an everyday dad in that. <laughs> um, I, I love uh, and Walter, you you left this line for me because I can never pronounce. Oh my, uh, oh my goodness, I love it. You so know what I'm talking favorite. about. Yes, I, I, I will repeat it because I've been Please. saying it all day. I've been saying it all day. I've been saying it for days since the movie. My favorite line that he has in the entire film is he's sitting there and they're talking about what they should do in regard to um, Namor. And this is after he gets punched in the chest and his tone changed after he got punched in the chest. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't about he, the fish man anymore. No. And, and he had respect for him afterwards because he looks at everybody and he says, do you know what his people call him? They call him Kul Kul Khan, the feathered serpent god. And then everybody looks at him like, how the hell do you know that? And he's like, you think because we are Jabari, we do not read? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. He's just, oh, every scene with him is, is remarkable and phenomenal. And I also told Jason that from now on, if I'm ever insulted by someone if i remember uh, uh like upset with how someone's behaving i'm just gonna start going oh oh <laughs> and people will know that i am not to be messed with <laughs> oh man so i guess the next character we can speak to is we can talk about ramanda oh like i mentioned earlier like she's one of the standouts in the film for me is angela yep. bassett just crushes in this and Another one who's dealt with like so much emotional range in this film, but it is mostly like pain. I think that's where she has to. Most of her scenes are just her experiencing pain, losing her son, you know, like having to help her daughter through, and also dealing with essentially the bullshit from the outside world of and calling yeah. them out on it. And it's just, it's tremendous. And I. Was I was shocked when they when she dies when when I was no, too. no more kills her. I did not think that they were going to go there, mainly because I was thinking of Shuri as well. Like, wait a second, 
how much is she going to withstand in this film? Too much for one character. <laughs> I was thinking about it by the end of this movie. The entire royal family outside of Shuri has been murdered by the MCU. Yeah. Right? Like, like you know, I mean, Chadwick, of course. Yes. Not. But, but like, the whole Wakanda thing is, like, Wakanda is introduced in Civil War, and that revolves around the death of the king. Right, Shuri and mm-hmm. T'Challa's father, and then Shuri then has to lose her brother and her mother in the same goddamn movie. It's like, could could you give the royal look? I understand. I'm not a bit. I don't. I'm not a royal family apologist. Can we give this royal family a break? <laughs> Seriously, I yeah, agree and, wholeheartedly. Yeah, and we talk about other MCU characters who have gotten like a lot. Like you know, Peter has done with a lot. This. Right, right. Peter Parker's taken a lot, but we also know in the comics he goes through shit constantly. Or whatever. It's, yeah, well, uh, there's yeah. love piling on Peter Parker at, at, yeah. at times, <laughs> and and Thor in the MCU has gone through some shit too. Like he's he's been through qu- quite a bit, but I feel like those were spread out amongst films. This yeah. is just in like Jason had mentioned perfectly in the same freaking film. Man. Yeah, it's banger after banger for her. It's like really a lot to take on and. One line that like gave me chills in the film um, is like Namor just floating outside the window, and he's like, "Bury your dead, mourn your loss. You're the queen now." Yeah. What? Yeah. Like it was it was said with like it was said with like compassion, mm-hmm. but also, oh my gosh, that hurts so much to hear. Chilling. Yeah, so absolutely chilling. Um, but yeah, Ramanda is you know in, in every scene, especially you mentioned the one where she's calling out the French, and they actually get caught red-handed trying to steal. I love that scene. You know, vibranium that's there as well. Um, so what, yeah. what did she say? We we as a show of good faith, we will not make an issue of it this time. Yeah, like she says something like that, where it's like, but. Don't fuck with us again is the implication. Basically. Basically. Yeah. And she brings them right out. It's not like she's yeah. just mentioning them. No. She brings she them right out right there. Brings them out in cuffs on their knees. It's a just visually, it's a great scene. Yeah. And also, and this is this is just the dumb things that I think about while watching movies. Um, because my brain's running a mile a minute. The it, it's a powerful scene, but I also laughed and chuckled a bit at the fact that. The Dora Milaje bring these guys in, and then Okoye tells them to kneel in her tongue, and they <laughs> kneel, which means at some point in time they were taught that this means kneel down. These Frenchmen were taught at some point while they were incarcerated, like, when I say this, you better freaking kneel down. Oh, I can totally see her yelling that at them and hitting them in the back, like, get the fuck down, motherfucker. <laughs> Um, I mean, Koi is awesome in this, right? Like we we could just we could just say across oh, the board. Yeah, I mean she's fantastic, and her story. Like I'm glad she gets a story arc. You know, like mm-hmm. in the first one, she's a great character, but she doesn't really have a story arc, right? She's Dormelaja, right? Like she's she's she has a she has that great moment where she has to decide, am I, you know, who am I? Um, who am I protecting? The king as a person, or the king as the crown right and that, that's awesome but this is actually a story arc that feeds off of that because uh Ramonda's like 
when eventually Shuri gets kidnapped and Ramonda's acting out of absolute grief, she fires her, says, you know, get out. And she begs her, Koya begs her, let me just die in battle. And she's like, no, I strip you of that because you stood by and when I begged the Jabari, you wouldn't, you were not protecting us, you were protecting Killmonger. And I love that that was brought back. I love that it was part of the arc. And I love that part of her arc is the redemption for that. Like, she now gets to stand up, and even after being fired, she doesn't have to go back, right? She can turn her back on her people, but she doesn't. She, she's there in the clutch when uh, the Atlanteans attack Wakanda, and she saves a lot of people. And she is one of the people Shuri taps as, like, the person to wear the armor that she can trust. And the fact that, that she got that story arc, I thought it was great, because that actress is fantastic, and that character is fantastic, and I think up until this movie has not been explored as well as they could, as she could have been. I, I definitely agree with that. They they really dove into her character and made that just that whole scene of her getting like ran through by by Queen Ramonda. I was like, yeah. just the facial acting and the pain and that, but then also the stoicness of like. Okay, I'm a general, and this is my role. You know, put my staff down. I'll be on my merry way. And I also love that they kind of, you know, they just slide these side comments in, like that, like her husband is still alive. He's still like he's just kind of banished, or or like maybe in prison. But like Ryan Coogler himself said, like yeah, he's still alive. So they like, and I think Daniel Kaluuya is a phenomenal actor. So that's like something they have in their back pocket. They want to pull him back in for something. They still have. They can do another whole story arc with her, like saving her marriage, maybe, or something like that. You know, there's like really endless possibilities there. So it's really cool that they gave her room for that, room for growth. And I love the fact that they acknowledged his absence because he was filming Nope during yeah. this time. And that's yeah. why he uh -huh. kind of had to like step aside. Um, which, yeah, I, I agree. I also enjoyed the character a lot as well. It sucks that he couldn't, you know, find a way to pull off both, but. Mm -hmm. You know, it is what it is. But yeah, you're right. I'm glad they didn't kill him off or anything like that. So they can go back to him because obviously we will get more Black Panther films. That's, yes. that's a given. And he's mentioned the Disney Plus spinoffs that we don't know about yet, but, you know, we'll be coming along down the line. Um, yeah. And, and also, Okoye is given some comedic moments as well when they're going to go ahead and they're tracking down Riri Williams. Yeah. And there's a lot, there's, there's some, there's some funny, f funny moments that she has during that. And also a badass moment in that fight on, yeah, the might, the makeup, she's got like the ashy head and they're like, wait yeah. a second. See, I told you it looked great. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's kind of made me think of the wig in the first film. When yes. he went yeah, to South Korea, sure. it's kind of that thing again. Um, she also has some serious badass fights, especially the one that was on the bridge. With uh, now, know, not I forgot what the general is kind of like the general of the Atuma. Atuma, okay, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And let me tell you this: I was very excited, be, and I, you didn't, you obviously didn't hear me over the person six rows back speaking very we'll, we'll, loudly. We'll get to that eventually because that was but, insanity. But when they, when they, when the general was was named as Atuma, I went, I fucking knew it. Because Atuma, guys, was as as you know that I have my my connection with these weird comic book characters is I I read a lot of like the Marvel universe, like read a lot. It was just literally comic books of these obscure characters, right? And then they put out these deck of cards with these obscure characters. And Atuma was the first on that deck of cards. And so I know that character very well as the 
sometimes antagonist, sometimes right-hand man of the Submariner from that. Uh, but I also know him because as a kid, I collected those cards when I was watching movies like Kindergarten Cop. So the reason I really remember that character is because in my head canon, every time I see his name, I go, is that a Tuma or is that not a Tuma? Wow. And you think I'm doing a bit, but that really wow. is how my kid brain worked. That was a joke I made as a kid to myself all the time. <laughs> so when they revealed this is a Tuma, I almost wanted to like hit you and TJ and go like, I fucking knew it. Fucking a Tuma. It but is no a Tuma. Him, it is a Tuma. <laughs> oh my God. That's excellent. <laughs> um, but another thing with Okoye though, so she becomes, by the end of the film, she gets the armor for the Midnight Angels. So they're also in the comic. That's a comic thing is that's like comics accurate where she goes ahead and they're kind of like a subdivision, kind of like the Navy SEALs of, um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Of the Dora? The Dora Milaje, yes. Yeah. I was having a brain fart there for a minute. Yeah, she's um, like Black Ops. Yeah, you're like, oh shit. So this suit, by the way, and I love the fact that she shits on the suit. Like repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. like, because even Shuri's right. like, hey, yeah, she has notes, of course. She hates it. And so about how ugly it is, but then they fucking kick ass in that thing in the that's final great. battle. That was that's great. Um, and I guess that can kind of you know, where do we want to go next? Do we gotta? Where, who, who, who do we want to talk about? Um, sheesh. I mean, I, I guess in, well, whatever. I'll I'll move into a story point there. So okay, we know we know that yeah. I mean, while well, we can jump to characters, I do want to get back to Shuri, and we'll find out where everyone ends. Is so they have this arms race for vibranium, which everyone's you know pretty much after at this point, and that also ties in Val, who's in this, who we had met in uh Falcon and Winter mm -hmm. Soldier, who was also in the colonizer's uh, was also husband, in... yeah. So we didn't know that that was a colonizer's <laughs> right. Jerry's favorite colonizer's ex husband. That, that's love, in this film. That. my favorite which... colonizer, let's check in on him. <laughs> No, she's, you know, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is great in whatever she does, but she shows up, she's there, um, but she, we also know she's going to be in the Thunderbolts movie, and she's slowly building her team and, and, and stuff like that, and she has a, a mention that she's like, listen, you know, I dream of the day when, it, you know, the U.S. military essentially can have vibranium. I dream about it, you know, much, but I wonder if that's going to lead to a plot point in Thunderbolts and why they're getting together or, or something like that. I just wanted to throw mm. that out there. Because there's world building that this film does for the MCU. Be also, while it's not a very... It's an MCU film, but it's also not... does a lot of things an MCU film doesn't do. But it doesn't miss the world building part where those threads have to be connected for this. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I was thinking about thematically this movie... Um, and I didn't, even, I didn't even take that into account or think about that. Because I came out of the movie thinking... This was very, very interesting and contained. I felt like I felt like like Wakanda is always isolated, and then Namor's people also want to be isolated. And I feel like the movie in itself took that and was like, this is an isolated occurrence. Like they had their little squabble and didn't really affect the larger scale MCU too much too much. But you make an excellent point. Like, how do, how does Val's position here? It does have impact on some level. It's gonna have an impact on some level. Yeah, because I, I and I was talking with Tim about this, who was watching us now. We were just like, hmm, I wonder if Val was necessary or was she shoehorned in there? Like, if they swiped it out and called her something else, would it matter? Yeah. 
maybe not necessarily in this film, but I think in a larger MCU, that's why she's in this film. Because they want we, we're probably gonna get a follow-up to at least that story thread. Otherwise, and we're gonna find out yeah. like that's that's the thing. And we still don't know what Thunderbolts are getting together anyway, so that, that could be something down the line. I don't know. Um I what else do we got? Well I, I do want to point out that I was very, very happy when because the colonizer, and I always forget. Matt Freeman, you said his name was Walter before. You told I me his right? name was in the movie. The actor's name is the Martin Freeman, but Everett Ross. Everett, there we Everett go. Ross. I always yeah. forget his name. I just think of him as, as the colonizer. Uh, I love <laughs> well, that's the, who he is. We know that's, that's who he is. <laughs> but I, I love that he has a genuine affinity and uh, for for Wakanda and for Shuri, and like, and they they also have a genuine affinity for him, and that's shown because. He puts himself in a position after he finds her beads, Shuri's beads, after she gets taken to, you know, Atlanta, Atlantis, or I'm sorry, what what is it called? I forget what it's called in this. Talokan. Thank you. Talokan. Uh, when she gets taken to Talokan uh, and she leaves the beads and he takes it and they communicate with him and he's like, no, no, okay, I'll give you the information. And he he's helping them to a point <clears throat> that get them arrested by the end of this movie. And when... Uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus calls him on it. He's just and he and he's caught. He's like, yeah, but you know they're good people. They have all this power and they don't do anything with it but help people. And what the hell would we do with it? And that's when she gives that line. Oh, I dream about what we would do with it. And so I like that. Like he helps them and he's a stand up guy. And then at the end, just when things are the worst for him and he's about to be like carted off to prison forever, they come in. They they kind of rescue him and like i love that they see him as their own as he kind of protects them i just really enjoy that because it's not something like he's a member of the u.s government the u.s government is the villain in this movie it's fucking cia I mean, yeah, yeah right exactly but the fact that like he's, he's a member he's a cia and he's he's part of the villainous group but he's a good guy and they kind of take care of each other i don't know i just really like that Okoye also has a great line, by the way, in that scene where she goes ahead, she she frees him, and there's like, wow, a colonizer in chains. I never <laughs> yes. thought I would have seen the day. Hilarious. Uh, that was fucking great. Um, one other major character we didn't get a chance to touch on uh, before we talk about, like, you know, the prologue and everything, was Nakia. Like, oh, yeah. Kind of missing big for... Reveal at the end. A huge reveal yep. at the end. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, she comes into the story where I was just kind of like, I know she gets mentioned earlier, and I'm like, man, I wonder how much screen time she's gonna get. But when she shows up, I she's a huge fucking deal in this film. Huge. We find out that she was, you know, she's been in Haiti. We don't quite know exactly all the details for it, which we find out a lot of the details at the end of it. But she's also great. She shows up, you know, obviously saves the day, saves, you know, literally saves the day. Where she saves Riri and um, and Shuri from, a, it was kind of like an, a cave or like an offshoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't exactly quite underwater because that was one thing. After the first time I saw this film, I was also wondering, wait a second, Shuri needed this suit to go to Telecon the first time without crushing the bones and stuff like that. Because Neymar has that great line where he's like, "Your bones would crush your lungs and all this other stuff," or you can wear a suit. Whichever one you want. Um, but then when Nakia saves them and they kind of just go out and they're, you know, Wakandan tech, I'm like, wait, what happened to the bone crushing and all the other stuff? Was Namor just fucking around with them? Or was that like 
a thing, but then I realized they didn't actually go that deep into the sea. It was just like a cave thing. So that kind of I wonder if it was a massive plot hole the first time around, but second time second viewing, I was like, all right, that's cleared up for me. You know, I'm, I'm kind of good. Um, but Nakia, I mean, I don't know if one of you guys want to start off with what the big reveal is at the end because she's got a huge thing to do with the MCU moving forward. Jason, you want to take that? I mean, you know, the the uh, the big reveal is Prince T'Challa, right? <laughs> I mean, Simba. Uh, Simba. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she pulled him up like that, and then yeah. like lost his shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes, I love it. <laughs> but but we get we get this beautiful moment. Uh and it, that that's Chadwick's is that Chadwick's son? I don't I don't know. The actor? I don't believe yeah. so. Because you we I I think we had mentioned it briefly afterwards, or I was talking to TJ about it, and I wondered and I could have sworn I saw in the credits the second time around because I literally was staying for the credits to see what his name was. Didn't match the okay. Muslim Bozeman or anything, so I'm assuming no. I mean, then if it wasn't, they they cast the perfect kid because that that he looks yeah. like he could have been Chadwick Boseman like as a him, kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, we found we find out that the the whole reason that she left in the first place was because after the blip, let's not forget the blip because that is important. They we don't mm-hmm. forget these things. Um, she was pregnant, and she it was too painful for her to be away for for her to be in Wakanda that whole time with. T'Challa's son while T'Challa was blipped and no one knew he was coming back right and so she went to Haiti and raised his son which only Ramonda knew about and now Shuri knows about and it was a beautiful moment of like introducing sort of I kind of wished it was I mean it doesn't matter but I wished it was Chadwick Boseman's son just because of the passing of the torch the mantle like and, and the feelings I, I just have did, for I that did, actor here I just did some quick research it's not confirmed Okay, so fair enough. Uh, But but yeah, but I I love that reveal, and I love I love the fact that she's brought in as like, okay, you're the best of the best, and you need to help us. And she goes out of this movie going, yeah, here's the reason I left, and I want you to meet your nephew. And it was it's a beautiful moment, and it also tied together some points from within the movie that I'm not sure if you guys caught on because I know I didn't catch them going through the movie. Like Nakia was calling. (laughs) a lot earlier in the film probably to introduce them probably yes. like come to Haiti and meet your nephew and like she kept ignoring the calls from Nakia because she was mad at Nakia for not being there for them and not being at the funeral like it also explains why there's no Nakia sighting in Endgame like no I don't Chadwick I don't the Chadwick I'm calling T'Challa I don't want my pregnant <laughs> Um, fiance to show up to this battle for the planet. No, you hide out in Haiti while I go fight this war. You know? Yeah. And then it also and this line like that gets like lost on people that I at least I lost because of right before this line, right after this line is when Namor first enters, when he interrupts their conversation, she says to Shuri like, I have something to tell you about your brother mm-hmm. and Namor comes out the water and you're like, and I completely forgot about that line until like after the movie, when I'm talking with friends about it, and they're like, she was probably going to talk about that because she, Nakia confirmed that Queen Ramunda had been there and had met him yep. already. Yep. Which that, is like, I didn't catch that until the second viewing, honestly. So I, well I done. That, yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't catch that until the second viewing. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. 
Very um, well done. And it just opens up the path for like, because I, I know one of the big, like, big, like, things of contention after Chadwick's passing is like, recast T'Challa. Should we have a new T'Challa? Like, should someone else play T'Challa? And somewhere down the line, I'm pretty damn sure we're going to have another T'Challa be the Black Panther at some point in time. And I'm probably going to cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but I love the I love that the new T'Challa we're gonna get is a passing of the mantle and not like they're still they're still saying the original T'Challa Black Panther is Chadwick Boseman. It will always be Chadwick Boseman in this Absolutely. universe. But we're gonna set up a way for it to the mantle to be passed, and we still get a T'Challa Black Panther, which is important. You and I were talking about that, right? Like we, we were both kind of torn about like honoring the actor and honoring the character. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a way they've set themselves up to do both, which I applaud them for. So I, I guess that's something I want to throw out to you guys, because I know Jason and I talked about this last week. Now, after have seen have seen the film now, do you feel like, because I know there was a point of contention of should they have recasted T'Challa or should they have gone this way and passed the mantle, at least the Black Panther part, onto Shuri? Do you think it was the right that well number actually well I don't know how you felt before this. Did you what side were you on prior to the film and are you still there now after seeing the film? Yeah, I was definitely on the side of of, of do not recast the character. Um as much as much as I love having the character there, um I didn't want to see that done and I know that regardless of what film it could have been like the single greatest film put out ever, everyone in the back of their head would have been like but what if it was Chadwick, you know, like it would have been better if it was Chadwick or, or God forbid people are like, this guy's way better than Chadwick, you know, and then people are being disrespectful, you know, it just opens too many avenues for like, like contention and, and, and infighting and whatnot. So I was definitely of the school of thought of don't recast the character. And now having seen the movie and I'm telling you, the more I talk about it, the more I love it and enjoy it more. And I can't wait to see it again. Um, we got a really amazing story. Like we had a really amazing story, really amazing art. Um, and we wouldn't have gotten that, yeah. you know? So I'm, I'm very glad that they, that they stuck with that and went through with it and then found a way to like bring the namesake T'Challa back at some point in the future. And also I, I mean, I have a whole little spiel that I, whenever we get back to talking about Shuri, I have a whole spiel about Shuri that, me and Jason got into earlier, which is the reason he asked me to be on today. Just a different perspective that I have. Um, so I'm glad we got Shuri's story. Because I feel like in the first Black Panther movie, um, there was something that was being set up there that I feel like I didn't even realize was being set up there. And then they really took it <laughs> and they in this movie. So I'm glad we get a chance to have that. All right. And I know, Jason, we're, we're sorry where you want now after that. And I do want to go back to Walt. I want to hear about the Shuri thing. Just yeah. Perfect time yeah. to get back to Shuri. Shuri thing is great. Uh, but yeah, no, for me, um, I, I've always been, uh, this is something Walter and I talk about. I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. Like Chadwick Boseman is Black Panther T'Challa for me, right? In the MCU. But because he's gone doesn't mean I don't want that character anymore. And, and that's something I struggle with. Like I like, I, I respect the hell out of the actor and what he brings to it. But I also really miss the character, and I think I agree with Walter a lot. Not another thing, I know I agree with Walter a lot here, that the fact that they've set it up where 
they can pass the Black Black Panther mantle, but also set something up where we might have a you know another T'Challa Black Panther, another shot at exploring an offshoot of this character. At least I'm happy with. So, like I, I don't think. I don't think it would have served the character better to recast. I think I like the way they're going with it. I, I think Walter's right. Uh, if I was watching this and they had recast it uh, and uh, T'Challa and there was a lot of T'Challa stuff and it was the original movie we were supposed to get, the back of my head, I would have been always comparing it to negative or positive to Chadwick Boseman. And what I got, I didn't have to do that. And it set something up that, could bring that character back or at least a variation of that character which is a very comic book thing to do like you know how many times we kill people and all right now your kid is now you and they're just the same person like you know there's a lot Mm -hmm. of things we can do with it so i am actually really happy and okay with the way they're handling it so far yeah i i also i know i dropped in tim's comment he never wanted to recast neither did i i kind of figured it was yeah it was the time, and I also remember after the first film dropped, it with people already screaming like, "Oh, make sure the blah Black Panther in the sequel, let's go already!" And I'm kind of like, "Pump the brakes, guys, relax." I know what happens in the comics, but let's a child's story go on for it. They can Absolutely. they can explore that avenue down the line if they want to. And now you know you got people backing up on that, and I, I don't know. I I think, and I agree with Walt what you said. We wouldn't have gotten this story if not for you know what unfortunately had happened. So. You know, it did give us something in the end. And I do think, yeah, they, they leave themselves open if they want to explore it or not. You don't have to. You could. You couldn't. Like, you can see what you want to do down the line with another T'Challa being, you know, the Black Panther. Um, which I, well, actually, well, I want to hear your thing first before we get into what the ending potentially sets up. Oh, What's oh. going on with Shuri then? Um, I was, so we're talking about... Um... Well, like our favorite scenes in the movie and one scene that really stood out to me and like I don't know I really in the moment I didn't realize why I had such an emotional connection to the to the moment and then later on you know and breaking it down and thinking about it, I, I came to something that I thought was really cool and I don't know if this was intentional but I feel like Shuri um in herself kind of she has her own story arc with technology they mentioned it in the first movie Mbaku uh, regard um, scoffs at her and says you know we we are a nation with like a rich history and tradition and we put our resources into like a girl playing with like technology and stuff like that and they don't really go back to it but for the most part but it's like they seem to scoff at her and they have their traditions and their way of doing things and that's the entirety of the first black panther movie like killmonger gets the you know fight for the throne because of birthright and things like that very you know archaic and their tradition and then we come into this film where once again, Shuri is like technology is technology is the reason she doesn't get to be with her by her brother's side because she's so focused on trying to fix things. And continuously, the whole idea of technology versus tradition is like a little story arc that she was that she had a, a like a preview of in the first movie, but didn't get expanded on. And that's something that everyone's we're also focused on the story of grief when she also has a story of growth as a character because the moment that I'm talking about is. When she finally does it, she creates the heart-shaped herb, she takes it, and Nakia is telling her, like, do you want me to put the dirt on you? And she's like, no, you might need to, like, you know, cardiac arrest me or whatever. She has her vision, comes back, and then she's so livid and upset 
with like, I did your tradition. She actually said, I did your stupid tradition, you know, and it still didn't give me what I want. Nothing worked. So like technology's not working for me. I can't say my brother tradition's not working for me. I can't, you know, see my mother, like nothing's working for her in this moment. But then the moment that I love so much is when she finally, she goes and she lands in the middle of them talking in full black Panther garb. <laughs> Once again, Mbaku immediately challenges our arm wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me test this out. Are you really the Black Panther? <laughs> Show me. Show yeah. me if you're the Black Panther. Wordlessly, too. He doesn't even say it. He's just like, yeah. <laughs> but then after that, you know, they celebrate and they're like, they're chanting and they're doing their traditional dances and they're singing. And Shuri, like her mask comes down and you see she's like silently nodding around and she's like, like acceptance. I feel like she didn't get that from the people of Wakanda in general. she So she got that acceptance and it really, I didn't understand why that movie, that moment resonated with me, but it made me think Shuri kind of represents like first generation immigrant kids, which I would be one of them. My parents immigrated here from the Caribbean. Like just, and if you'd speak to any first generation immigrant kid, um, your parents are usually very strict. They don't want you to go out and intermingle with other people, specifically Americans. <laughs> like, they want to keep you safe. They want to keep you in the house. And they want you to maintain the tradition and stuff of, of our culture. And don't let that go. And you see that with Shuri. Her mom is like, no, don't let her go to America. Like, just something bad's going to happen. Like, keep her safe. And then people scoff at her technology. So seeing that moment, she lands there and... She's being embraced by her people in their traditional way. So it's also her being accepting of that, of the culture. And I feel like that's a growth that we all go through, like being accepting of what came before you, the mantle of Black Panther, the tradition of the people, but then also trying to incorporate your technology and the changes going forward. And I think that was really beautiful. Like that arc is something I feel like not a lot of people are talking about because we're so caught up in the grief and her growing as a character and dealing with revenge. But she had her own little growth that she had to go through personally that was already the seeds were planted in the first movie. Yeah, and I think part of her, I agree with you, Walt, like 100%. She struggles with that in this film back and forth where it's like, she says at one point, you know, the Black Panther is, is something we need to move on from. We need to build, you know, you need to make sure that none of this ever happens again. I have mm -hmm. to, you know, use the technology to do it. And then, yeah, eventually when she sees that that seems to be after her mother passes, then she kind of needs to protect her because the belief at that point is like, wait a second, these people are taking shots at Wakanda because they feel like we don't have a protector anymore. And that's also another story thread that goes throughout this film where it's mentioned a couple of times where, yeah, wait a second, you think we're like, you know, we're vulnerable now, but we're not. And yeah, when she decided, when she finally recreates the herb um, and she get you know, she gives herself the power of the Black Panther. Another huge thing happens, by the way, during that, when oh. she goes to the ancestral plane. Oh, yeah, we forgot about that. No, we're, oh, we're not. <laughs> I think we've indirectly set it up. We, we're kind of going very well, beautifully. With All this. part of the plan. All part <laughs> of it. It's how we, that's exactly how we find it out. Um, yeah, so she goes to the ancestral plane, and she sees Killmonger sitting on the throne. Now, Rick is another friend of our show. Unfortunately, he's kind of dealing with some migraines tonight and wasn't able to join us. This dude has been screaming about Killmonger somehow being resurrected and being the Black Panther in this film and they kept shutting him down, shutting him down. But the rumor was out there he was going to be in this film. And we wondered last week, Jason and I discussed how. My guesses were flashback or ancestral plane. Those were the only two options because he's dead. 
There's, they're, not, they're not going to do a cheap way out of this. I'd be like, nah, I didn't die, you know. The whole sunrise scene, that beautiful thing at the end. Nah, none of that. Uh, tis but, but the flesh wound. Yes, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not a big deal. I got this. Um, yeah, she's, he's, she sees Killmonger because she's in the same mental state as he was in once he took the urban went to the ancestral plane, just kind of like just blinded by revenge and stuff like that, like fury. And then he proposes the question, are you going to be like, cause he doesn't knock down T'Challa at that point. He kind of looks like he's got the respect from there. Mm-hmm. You're going to be like your brother. Or are you going to be like me? And he says, or are you going to, you know, you're going to get stuff done. So that's the dilemma she's with. And when she leaves the ancestral plane, she's still about like, She's pissed that she saw him, but she's still kind of like, I'm still going to fucking kill him no more. Like, that's it. Like, I'm still going to go with the revenge plot, and, and this is it. And, you know, it's, I thought that was really cool. They didn't they didn't show the end of that conversation till later. Yeah. Like, you didn't know how that conversation ended. I was so surprised when they panned back to it, and she was like, yeah, you're right, Killmonger. This is some good yeah, stuff yeah. right here. <laughs> you know what you're talking about, buddy. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. I'll be honest with you. I think that goes into what you were saying, Walter, about, like, her having to decide, like, her doing what was what's expected of her, but also trying to be herself. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the ancestral plane thing, right? I'm going to go to the ancestral plane and hear who the, my elders who tell me, okay, well, this elder who I don't really like is going to tell me something. But he's not wrong, but he's not right. But I think the whole thing about Shuri is – She's got to make her own way, right? Like, it's it's not about the past, and it's not about the future. It's not. It, it's about like the way she wins this battle is not solely through being the Black Panther, but also being the Black Panther tradition, as well as using her technology, who she is now. And I think that's the whole point, right? And I think that's what Killmonger, Killmonger represents. Killmonger comes and goes, well. You're like me. You don't believe in tradition. You don't believe in ancestry. But, but I'm gonna. I'm your ancestor. I'm tradition. I'm gonna tell you what to do, and it, it's kind of in her court to break that, right? Like break yeah. that sort of ancestral like thought process that we have to always do what our ancestors did, even if our ancestors tell us they're wrong, right? Because in a lot of ways, our ancestors do tell us that through action but yet we still do the wrong thing. But I think in this moment, this is kind of her breaking that generational like trauma bond, right? Like, okay, this is what's expected of me. This is what I bring to the table. Even when I bring something to the table, this is what's expected of me. Only I can make the change. And that's what she does when she doesn't kill Namor is she goes, I'm not going to do this like Killmonger or T'Challa or anyone. I'm going to do this like I would do. And I think that that's kind of her like story arc in this. Agreed. Yeah, she goes. She pretty much uses that whole the tech too to like to pretty much burn him to really right. weaken him. When she does the whole, you know, she, well, kind of forever, and thing just goes like explodes on him and lights yeah. his ass up and everything. <laughs> um, so I I also just wonder. I right, so if we go towards the end of the film, and there's something on Namor we didn't touch on, but I did want a, a big thing I wanted to get to in a minute was. So Shuri is the Black Panther at the end of the film, but then, you know, it looks like it's going to be Challenge Day or they were going to properly induct Shuri, and then M'Baku comes off the plane and is like, I'm here to challenge. But he also knows Shuri Shuri can be here today. Yeah. Yeah. 
the great savior <laughs> Mbaku. <laughs> so the way I took this as they had their conversation, they you know they see eye to eye right now, Shuri and Mbaku, and my thing was I feel like Shuri's just Shuri's gonna be the protector and be the Black Panther, but Mbaku is on the throne now. Yes, that's that how was, I read it. That was my takeaway. I agree. That's what it seems okay. like. Which I thought was pretty cool. That it's kind of like they both sort of got kind of what they wanted. Because I think she acknowledges like he's a great leader. You know, like yeah. he, you know, takes care of his people. He's taken care of Wakanda multiple times now because he does take them in. You know, when it looks like the city is vulnerable, mm -hmm. and he's kind of running the show there. So. Yeah, that, that's I mean, that's my guess is, is how that that's how it left me. From both movies, he's always done what's right. Like he saves T'Challa's is not his enemy, but T'Challa's his antagonist, right? In the first movie, he wants the throne. He wants the Black Panther ship. He doesn't think T'Challa deserves it. Hmm. Yet T'Challa beats him fairly and convinces him to tap out so he doesn't have to kill him because T'Challa doesn't do that, hmm. and. In response, he saves T'Challa, right? He takes T'Challa's family in. And Baku always does what's right. He's the brave one. He's the level-headed one. He's, I he, and I think he's the perfect choice to be the head, the, the the new king, right? Because Shuri doesn't want it. This is not Shuri's. Shuri is the Black Panther. Shuri wants to protect people. She wants to do things her way. She doesn't want to be sort of chained by tradition. Mbaku is a guy who can be chained by tradition but still get things done. I think it's a perfect pairing that they, and they obviously decided because he comes out and says, they all go, oh, oh, sure he's coming, sure he's coming, the Black Panther's coming. And he comes out and goes, she can't be here today. It's challenge day. Like they've made this decision together before yeah. this moment. And I think it's it's a good decision. I think it's it's and it leaves us for the next Black Panther movie or whatever comes after this, it leaves us in a great place because, because we all love M'Baku. I mean, if you don't, you, you don't understand these movies or I don't know what the fuck you're watching because well, he's Tim, fantastic. Tim is absolutely loving M'Baku because that's pretty right. much the most his comments so far. The single best Wakandan. For sure. <laughs> Just Winston Duke himself is the single best Wakanda. Oh my gosh, such a great character! <laughs> but like you, you put him on the throne and you make Shuri the Black Panther, and you open yourself up for so much to do in the next Black Panther movie. It's a perfect choice. So yeah, I'm I'm talking a lot about something that I should have stopped a while ago, but I like it. <laughs> no, I like it, and I also like I, I like the separation of the throne from the Black Panther mantle. I think that's really cool because if we, if we recall, like at the in Civil War, T'Challa was already the Black Panther, but his dad was still the king. So like those two roles aren't intrinsically tied together. You don't have to be both of them. Like you don't have to be the leader and the Black Panther. So I think it's cool that Shuri can be the Black Panther and be the protector of her nation, especially because like just. Thinking like that term protector, like wanting to be the protector, and they kept repeating that over and over. I'm sure for a reason, like, like she was unable to save her her brother. She was unable to save her her mother. You know, so like being a protector is something that she definitely probably wants. It would be something that would satisfy her and be like a way to live up to their memory. 
but being a queen and being a leader of a nation, that's not what I don't think that's what she would want in my analysis of the character. So I love the decision going forward. And the end of the film said the Black Panther will return. So, you know, I'm excited to see where she, where she shows up. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, 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 well, I guess it could be in the whatever Disney Plus series that we get that involves Wakanda, or maybe she even shows up in Ironheart. I'm not really yeah, sure. Maybe. Um, because we know we have two Avengers movies coming down the line, which you can pretty much pencil when we will see her in. She'll mm -hmm. be in Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, you know, for sure. Um, and she also planted the heart-shaped herb that she synthetically made, which is a cool moment that I, I saw yes. that was really nice. Like, it's not like cool. it's something that she's just keeping in her lab and only she can make. Like, she started a new grove. So that's really cool that she's helping also, like, heal the past and heal like what was lost for her people yeah Very and she precise. calls out she calls out killmonger too saying you destroyed all of this you're part of the reason i couldn't save my brother because you were yeah. so scared to be replaced which you know technically is the truth that's what killmonger was like there's not going to be any yeah uh, it's me or nobody and that's it that's i'm what you got from now on worst um, cousin ever Yes, <laughs> we've all probably had some shitty cousins, but not, yeah. not nothing like Killmonger. No one's gonna kill Munger cousin. <laughs> um, Tim's got a question over here. Uh, what will we see in Baku take the heart shaped herb and kick some ass as men ape our armor? That's what Tim was talking about the other day. He's like dying for that to, to like to be a thing. Do we got any thoughts on that, or do we think we're gonna see something like this? <sighs> or do we think I... the heart shaped herb is just for the Black Panther? I feel like the heart-shaped herb might just be the, for the Black Panther, but if he is the king and he doesn't come back with some badass armor, I think he deserves he deserves <laughs> some badass armor. Yeah. Sure, he could hook him up. I'm sure she can oh, build something for him. Yeah. Some nanotech stuff that'll just appear whenever the heck he needed to. Yeah, I want to see him duke it out with someone way bigger than him. And I had a friend <laughs> who said, like, of the of the humans, of the, like, human people in, in the MCU... Mbaku might be the strongest one, like straight up just human fighting. Yeah, I, I can't think of many other people yeah. that can beat him in a fight straight up that don't that I don't mean, have powers. He took a direct shot to the stomach from Namor and Namor and lived. Like, yeah, he's pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So another uh, another point I wanted to bring up regarding Namor, though, is. The fact that he's when he tells his story, he goes to his background, he mentions that he is a mutant. Now, for some people, there were that was a point of contention when this rumor was floating around before the film was released. In the comics, he is referred to as the first mutant. Uh -huh. Now, is he really? That's what they refer to him as now, though. I'm more on this. I kind of really want to hear what you guys think about it. And Jason, you're one of the people who. It was a point of contention for me. Point of contention. There's a lot of wrestling going on with it. Um, I kind of took it, at least in the film, as a literal sense. Not that Nemor has the X gene or something like that. I think it's more of like it was a mutation. Like literally what the word means. Not an X gene. Not something like that. Well, go ahead. I know you were... I, I, no, I'm, I'm just saying like we are at a we're at a stage right now where like like mutants a trigger word, but it also means something else, you know. 
Because, like, yeah. okay, I, the, the Kamala thing, you can't beat around the bush. You heard the damn 90s X. No, no, no. I can't say that, that, he, that her friend was just like, oh, no, you have a little mutation. No, no. I practically saw Charles Xavier mind waves around her head when they said that. <laughs> but, um, it, why then the sides were coming together? Yeah. It's like her name clanking together in metal. <laughs> she is Marvel. Wolverine. But um, I definitely, I definitely think that this one, I, I, th everything's intentional. So I feel like it was said there to like get you riled up. But I don't think he's like gonna end up being like X Men kind of thing because like he's a mutant because of. His family, like his ancestors, his mother, him consuming the that fruit or the the their version the, of the heart shaped herb. Yeah, the version mm -hmm. of the heart shaped herb. So I just think he is a mutant to his people because he has those winged feet and and things of that nature. But I don't think he's I don't think he's gonna show up on Cerebro anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I 100 agree. Like I, it was a point of contention with me. I was kind of getting annoyed that we were rebranding these non-mutants as mutants as we're about to lay the, the groundwork for the X-Men. Um I I stick by my 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 you know bones to pick with Miss Marvel with that because they did as as Walter said they did set that up but this yeah this wasn't that this could have been like this was more I read it more when they when he said it like I was a mutant in the sense that Every one of my people drank this and became fish people, but because my mother drank it and I was in her, you know, I was, uh, you know, in her body and whatever, I mutated to become something different. Which, as you said, mutating and being an X gene mutant are two very different things. And mm -hmm. I don't think they were even implying that he was in like an actual X Men mutant. I think they were just saying. Yeah, I'm a mutant because I'm different than my people. And that's what I took it as. Now, having said that, I'm just going to fuck around now and just throw something out there. So we know that there needs to be an explanation in the MCU of where the hell the X-Gene comes from. It's not just like, hey, somebody woke up one day and they have the X-Gene and randomly it spreads <laughs> like wildfire. Whoops, sorry. I've, I've spread it now and it spreads like COVID and suddenly the mutants are, are everywhere. Um do you think maybe they're starting to build the explanation of why the X gene starts becoming alive in people or something like that? It becomes a thing where it's like maybe exposure to vibranium or something like that maybe awakens the X gene in certain people or not. Just playing devil's advocate here with this because there needs to be something unless was, they're going to say it's imported from like another version of the multiverse. I don't was, know. Was Miss Marvel's bangle made out of vibranium? We don't know that yet. Yeah, we don't know. That's it's, the thing we don't know yet. It's possible. It's, they don't mention it. It's from okay. is it is she is is her family multiverse people or space people? I forget. They were multiverse people, from what I remember, if I remember correctly. The MCU so, is so weird now. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Well, but we're, since we know that they own the rights yeah. to the X Men and they're coming. I feel like as fans, we're also fishing for anything that we can gravitate to, to because we all know there has something has to happen. Yeah, so, and then they teased when. us in, in, in She-Hulk with that, with a little yes. thing. Yeah. 
which was genius because they know again them being so self-aware of the fandom we all know that we're all like foaming at the mouth to get to the x-men already but also i i i there is not a not a single waking moment where i'm not just imagining like all the things of all the things going on in the mcu somewhere they're out there logan is getting into bar fights and i'm like yes. pink, pink wolverine <laughs> absolutely that's what he would be doing <laughs> So yeah, I, I yeah, I guess that's just an idea. Like maybe that is the explanation that's going on here. You're right, because yeah, maybe there's gotta be a connection with her Miss Marvel's bangles and the uh Shang-Chi's ten rings and stuff like that. Like those two are I, I think they're clearly connected and yeah. that's gonna be something. And I don't know if this is something that's connected with that, but I don't know. Or do they just say, Hey, listen, the mutants were imported from another universe, you know, the Fox X-Men universe, and we're just going to take the shortcut and import them in there, and that's it. I don't I, think I, that's going to happen, though. I don't think... I think you're right. I think it's going to... I don't know if it's going to be a vibranium. I don't I don't think it's going to be something we're seeing right now. Like, I think it's going to be something that they've laid the groundwork for that seems innocuous that all of a sudden we they go, oh, this is the cause of, of the X-Gene, and we all go, yeah, that seems plausible. Like yeah. I, I think that's what it's gonna be. Something from the quantum realm will come out and activate. Yeah, yeah, they. <laughs> we are getting quantum manias before before X Men. Oh, and by the way, that whole that hell trailer. I don't know, Walt. Did you see this in three D or anything, or just standard? Uh, I saw it in three D. Okay, so yeah, we saw it in three D as well, and I got to see it in IMAX the next day. That trailer, because I was all when we saw this movie, I'm like. Hmm, I wonder if I've, the 3D was really necessary for this film. Not really, but when I saw the trailer for Quantum Mania, I'm like, yeah, that might be something you need to see a little extra for. Like, we might need yeah. some 3D and some IMAX for that crap. My most excited part about that, I've told, I was telling Walt this yesterday, or maybe even today, I don't remember. It's when, uh, when Kang comes down in full costume. Like, I get Kang, guys. I, I never thought... No one ever wanted Kang before, except for me. And now we all want him. But I really want him because I've always wanted him. And now I get him. And he looks awesome. I love it. My yeah. most exciting thing is uh, uh, is that Bill Murray? Yeah. <laughs> Bill Murray. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my most exciting thing. I don't know why. I just I, I never thought I'd get Bill Murray. In the <laughs> no, not at all. Um, he always he always shows up when I need him. The end of Space Jam, the MCU, <laughs> Space Jam. He's he's just that iconic figure for me, and I don't know why. It's just him jogging in at the end of Space Jam. I'm like that's my great white savior, <laughs> Bill Murray. <laughs> I now want a movie where Bill Murray is your great white savior, fairy godfather. <laughs> yeah, that's what he is for me. I don't even. I haven't even seen a lot of his work. It's just in my childhood mind. It's like that guy was there when I needed him. <laughs> when ghosts were taking over New York City and stuff like that, he was, was there. there. Absolutely, he was there. When, when, when the same day kept reliving itself over and over, he was there. When a gopher was again. being a prick and running around the damn golf course, he was there. He was there. As well. <laughs> um, so. Before we wrap this up, like Jason, so now there's a lot of vibranium talk going around. It's an arms race for her that we've talked about. I mean, we have we didn't get to see him, but 
you got to assume that Victor has can't be too far away. He's looming. Oh. Victor oh. Von Doom's got to be around there somewhere. There was so much talk and rumor of there of was. even like a, a reference to him or something in there. And Ryan Coogler kind of shut that shit down in an interview the other day. Actually, he was like, Doom was never on the plate. Yeah, he, he actually said, he, and he actually said, because I love listening to interviews, he said that when they were filming the first Black Panther, he asked for dibs on Namor. Like, oh, when wow. they were fil- when they were filming the first Black Panther, he was like, you know, we're going to do a future film. He's like, no one's used Namor, right? He's like, can I get that? Can I get permission nice. to, like, lock that down? So, like... It was it was planted, but he said Doom was never on the table, nor even like an idea. It was always like Namor is very important to me, and that's a character I want to to use. Okay, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, because yeah. we we were we speculated last week that that we thought that was because we all knew there was going to be just one mid credit scene, and we were kind of assuming that if we did hear anything, it was going to be in the mid credit scene. But now, having seen the film and like. The way it emotionally ends and then picks up with the post credits and obviously now mm-hmm. I'm like talking about a Doom Killer. We know he's coming all day. Yeah, um, I was, I was, I was. Um, my eyes were so peeled because my eyes are wired for for Easter eggs. But when they were having the scene in the UN, I was like, oh, if I see a Latvian name plate there, I'm gonna lose my <laughs> mind. I'm gonna lose my mind. But no, false alarm, false alarm, guys. <laughs> You know, I'm going to say I, I, of course, wanted a mention of Doom because I always want a mention of Doom, no matter what we're talking about, no matter what movie it is. If we were talking about Thor, Love and Thunder, I'd be like, and you said, there's a possibility that Doom could be mentioned in this movie. I'd go, yeah, fuck yeah, he could. Yeah, give me Doom. I don't care about this movie. Having said all that, I'm actually glad we didn't get a mention of Doom. I think... Doom's presence or would have detracted from what this movie was trying to do and doing very successfully. It was telling a story. It was giving us character, like, you know, character moments. It was, it wasn't fan service. It was a real movie with characters fans like. And I think as much as I can't believe I'm saying this, I'm glad we didn't get any Dr. Doom stuff in here because I think that would have been fan service. And I felt that would have cheapened what this movie was doing. Agreed. Having said that, give me fucking Doctor Doom in the next movie, motherfuckers. Oh, I was about to say, on to <laughs> Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania for our next Doom mention, yes. because that's what it has to happen now. Yes, absolutely. Kang's going to uh, be like, have you heard of this Victor guy? Yeah. <laughs> no? Not He's really? A deal. <laughs> and I would love to break the fourth wall just for one time and go to the audience and be like, You've heard of him. I know. Uh, <laughs> one might say Victor's uh, destiny is in doom. Nah. <laughs> um, all right. So that pretty much wraps it up for us on this episode of Granny's PG. Thanks for joining us as always. Uh, if you join us on Facebook, uh, go ahead and join the Granny's PG Facebook group as well. We got a bunch of stories and, other conversations that go on a daily basis, trailers and whatnot, and rumors. So join in on the fun there. Uh, also check out at Pop Culture Pros as well. Uh, you can go ahead and there the mothership who we're represented by, popculturepros.com. Join their Facebook group as well. Uh, if you're joining us on YouTube, subscribe to at Pop Culture Pros. Check out all the other cool stuff that we've got. Uh, Twitter, follow at Pop Culture Pros. 
uh, same thing as Instagram and wherever you found your audio-only podcast. Uh, Walt, what do you got going on here? Uh, any uh, Anything? Same thing as always, uh, Walt, Walt Rants on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all the jazz. Um, that's about it. In Mbaku, we trust. So, Tim's just, dude, he's just so amped with Mbaku. It's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> we he needs his own series. He does. I think we've all agreed on it this. Could, it could be a one man show. I'm just talking <laughs> directly to the camera. And I would love to do monologuing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll be talking about the next episode of Stargirl and Titans. And we are actually, we made our decision earlier today of what we're going to yeah. conquer next. We're going to do a Superman run. So we're starting with Superman the movie next week. And we will go through the, what the hell did we name? Six, seven different Superman movies. And Oh my gosh. Which wait, means, wait, well, wait, everything wait. but Man of Steel. Because we've covered Man of Steel we've and that BBS. So we're, yes. we're, we're past that. We're going to do Christopher Reeve Superman movies. We're going to even watch Supergirl spinoff film that is not great. Uh, Superman Returns and uh, Brightburn, which is also an indirect James Gunn. Ah, all right. <laughs> Maybe we will be seeing Walt back for Brightburn. I've been pitching that damn movie since we started this thing. <laughs> I'm excited to watch this thing. Movies. It's interesting stuff. I will say that. <laughs> Well, listen, let's make it happen. Hopefully, Pencil we'll come back in. for Brightburn. Yeah. So, Jason <laughs> has not you know seen it yet. So. I haven't seen it yet. You're gonna, it's, 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 it's some a wild film. shit. <laughs> it's, it's a film. <laughs> it's so, a um, film. <laughs> yeah, join us next week for our Superman run and eventually Brightburn. So I implore you guys week. to also look into the Superman video game. There is a, an unheralded Superman video game that's a meme on the internet because the final boss is just a freaking tornado. Um, but that's besides the point. Jesus, is that's, this the is this the Nintendo sixty four one? <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. Which is considered one of the single worst games ever made. <laughs> that's just the Superman Atari one that I played as a kid. No, the Atari one is better than the N sixty four one because you literally just. <laughs> You literally just go through circles that you can't hit and then fight storms. Yes. <laughs> we can discuss it when we get to it. Would you rather play that or watch Superman 4 Quest for Peace? I don't know. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question I can't answer yet. Let for, me watch Quest for Peace again. For a later date. And then Grogan's biggest concern, which is worse, Superman 3 or Superman 4? He swears 3 is worse. I, and, and here's the thing. I'm with him on this. And I might change my opinion. And guys, this is this is what you're going to tune in for. Am I going to think that 3 is worse than 4 by the end of this? Because right now as I stand, 3 is not a Superman movie. It's a Richard Pryor movie. Fair enough. And will you get Jason to say fuck you movie to one of these things? Because I kind of have a feeling between those two <laughs> movies we're going to get one of those. Yeah, a fuck you movie is happening at some point between 3 and 4. Oh. <laughs> uh, Oh, wait, is Tim? Oh, here we go. Tim's starting it early. Four is way worse. Tim, you are going to be obligated to join us for those, at least three and four, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. So, 
I love how three and four is going to be like our biggest panel movie. Like we're going to have like six people on those movies. Oh yeah, we're going to have to start turning people just to bash them. them. Just the bad. Oh, to, well, when we do bad movies, is when people start coming out of the yeah. woodworks. You know what I'm saying? That's hilarious. I've only been on for good things. I've only been on things for, th for things we like. Well, because you're a, a sane person. That's why you're a normal person. We have crazy people that will come kicking it out our doors to do the worst things imaginable. You're gonna do Ghost Rider too? I'm gonna be scraping at the door to get in. <laughs> Tim joined us, who hates Nick Cage, but was like, "No, I'm there for Spirit of Vengeance, no question." That, that's who. That's who we work with over here. Love so, it. It's great. Um, all right, so we'll see you next week. Peace. Look